Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. This episode brought to you by the following patrons. Sophia Goradica, Vance, Anthony, Cody, Boezy, Jeremy, Brother, Ali, Nathan, Mr. Ragebomb, Libby, Wes, Dreskel, Aaron, Danielle, Amy, Tia, Lauren, Dave, Jonathan, Scott, Kate, Alex, Isaac, and Karoon. And all the patrons want you to know you're loved, you're listened to, and you're a valuable member of this awesome Horror Virgin community. And if you want to smile with all of us, join the Facebook group and Discord servers where we smile daily. Welcome back. The I Hate Doctor Who podcast. He's not a real doctor, so it's Mr. Who. He is a real doctor. Why do you think he's not a real doctor? There are plenty of episodes where he does actually have medical stuff. Oh, you mean he he takes out his big, like, spinning dildo thing and fixes stuff? No, it's a a sonic screwdriver, so if anything, it's contractor who. Hang on. Wow. Okay. (laughs) I think this is the most positive representation of a police officer in the last four years in film. <laughs> Thank you for tuning into Horror Virgin. I'm Paige. I'm Mikey. And I'm your Horror Virgin Todd, which means I don't like scary movies, but you guys seriously insist on making me watch them. And this week, you all made me watch Smile. It follows. Oh, sorry. Oh, wow. Smile. This is It Follows if it was written by William Blake. Oh, shit. You guys didn't see the Book of Thel like references throughout this movie? No, I no, oh, I have shit. no idea what you're talking about. Okay, all right, cool. Explain that. Who's Book of Thel? The, the Book of Thel is about um, Seraphim named Thel who wonders why the Earth is... I think she's a Seraphim. That's a half angel, half mortal. Okay. Right, and she is... Giant person? Yeah, like her whole family is like... The book's about like her whole family, I think. And they're actually like okay. poems. They're not books. But it's like okay. she's wondering cool. why things die like leave the springtime of their life and she's like pondering mortality or whatever and goes to earth to ask questions of things on the earth as to why they die right and this movie incorporates a lot of this poem into this movie like even the smile yeah even smile is a reference to it because they say i think it's the earth like the the mortal world is a world where no one smiles is like one of the refrains in the poem Something like that. It's been a long time since I've read it, but I recognized it. And also when she goes to the jail to interview the person who killed someone to break the cycle. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Behind her as they're walking in that room. This is what clued me into the Book of Thel reference was no talking in the lobby. The lobby is spelled as one word and the O in the lobby is actually a smiley face. And because the the lobby is just one word, it's Thel smiley face bby and that's what clued me into it's a, it's like a reference to the book of fell huh. jesus i watched it too early this morning to get all that deep but good for you todd for bringing the intellectualism to this podcast i've never <laughs> even heard of this book so i'm confused is this a mormon thing no it's a 18th century english poet thing page what the fuck why did you read this i'm not gonna lie to you todd i'm a little surprised about this it's a i, t- I literally in college i took a class on renaissance writers and i think he was one of them holy shit i slept through a class 
class like that once. I really enjoy stuff like this. At that point in my life, I was like leaving the church and was super into like spiritualism outside the church. So I got into this kind of stuff. I okay, think all okay. the Sephirim got killed by the flood, right? That's why they, one of the reasons they sent the flood was to kill all the half-angel mortal people. I mean, if you're going to talk about the made-up, sure, yeah, yeah, stuff like Look, that. Look, we can yeah. go into the Nephilim and whatever, but that's a whole different ballgame. This is post-revolutionary <laughs> <laughs> literature. I, I had no idea this was coming, yeah. I, uh, yeah, like, wow. I honestly didn't even yeah. think I'd end up talking about it that much, and honestly, I can't remember much of it because I haven't read it since college, which was fucking forever ago. But I, I vaguely remember, like, Smile being a thing in that poem and vaguely what it was about but i'm sure i'll get emails and dms saying you messed up this little sentence structure in the poem or whatever and i get it i haven't read it in a while i'm sorry but like it's something to do with that and this is clearly a reference to it yeah with the part of that indianic uh pandemonium he, i think he's trying to say iambic pentameter oh that makes more sense yeah <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm googling this to see if anybody else has brought this up poetry's really close to music and you know how i feel about that <laughs> i do know how you feel about that mikey i do know so that like, you love poetry and you can't get enough of it i i, I may have watched this too early i didn't sleep well because i because we recorded last night for a romance in the pod and then well, immediately I, had to watch I, a movie and get up and record again this morning uh-huh and like our <laughs> protagonist i'm also dealing with work drama i know it's been a rough week for you and this movie is not like the best thing for you to have watched <laughs> I was like, no. this week specifically. No, but Todd, you'll be happy to know that no one else has talked about this online. What? Like I really? Googled it and no one else has made this comparison. I can't be making this up though. Like clearly in that scene, it says no talking and fell. Like it says fell right there. Over I, their I don't remember that, but that may be the case, but I also wasn't looking for it. So like, and also like the imagery of, the Oculus that she goes through to discover the truth. Like when she goes to the cop's house, her ex-boyfriend's house, we can all admit. The round that, window? Yes, that round window. But that cop, they were definitely boning at one point in their life. And she like ran away because her trauma oh, yeah. like, wouldn't let her settle into a good relationship. And that's why she apologizes to him at the end. Anyway, that big Oculus. No, no, no. In no. His... Let me talk for her, for people who experience <laughs> a lot of trauma and then run away from relationships and apologize at the end. Mikey, I, I've done this too in my past. Absolutely. I know. Yeah, but that window she goes through is an Oculus that she travels through. I have a whole theory about this, about how I she, also have theories Jesus about Christ. the the upside down <laughs> driving. Yes, there's a bunch of shots where the world is upside yeah. down because I think she is like a if you're following the poem or as above so below. That is true too. Yeah, so like in my mind, it very much follows that poem. Although it's been a long time since I've read the poem, so it may not follow it exactly. Oh, I'm gonna stick to our traditional. Trauma metaphor. Well, and yeah. that's in there too. <laughs> that's definitely in there too, Mikey. I and I really like that aspect of it. We're gonna have some good perspectives today. I, I think. Yeah. I think so too because I feel like she is dealing with a lot of the trauma that you, Mikey, deal with in your <laughs> job. I was like, oh, I'm definitely gonna put this higher. I, this is probably gonna be the first movies I'll put higher on the scary scale than like you two probably. Oh, I don't know about that, man. This movie scared the shit out of me. I will never watch this movie again. Well, at least higher than Paige. Yeah, well, only because this movie has a thing that is like both good and bad at the same time in in that it introduces a mystery and a way to solve it. And once they start like, we've got to investigate, then I'm less scared because I'm like, let's put the puzzle together. I'm looking for clues. Um, but this is still going to be higher on the scary scale for me. Yeah, this movie scared the fuck out of me, dude. It was so scary. I tried to note every time I was scared in this movie, but I honestly like lost track because I was too scared to write it down. But there are so many like jump scares 
in this movie that I think are super effective. Dude, they, they are. They sad. don't feel super cheap to me either. Like yeah. there are movies like The Nun that have cheap ass jump scares that are like jump scares for jump scares sake. And I feel like in this movie they do a lot of jump scares, but they like work for them. They're they're pretty earned. Yeah, I don't get up, caught up in them often, but like there was one. Where they can't was it the turn. sister with the car? Yeah. Oh, well, no, no, no. That was on the trailer, so I think that one didn't get me at all. Oh, I didn't oh, see okay. the trailer. I didn't, yeah. I didn't watch any trailers. I went in blind. Same. And Paige, that one fucked me up too. Paige, I was like, her head's gonna dangle like a balls. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but there was one in the ha- one of the dark houses where like it just like a person appears next to her, and I was like, ah, fuck. Yes. Oh yeah, right next to her face when she's googling, and I knew it was coming too. Me I was too, just Paige. like, motherfucker. And there was one I literally wrote in my notes towards the end. She's in her house. And she's backing out of her mother's room, and I was like, yeah. "Behind you, bitch!" Yep, in my notes, yep, and yep. then literally, I have, like, in four my notes, I have checked your six, bitch. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, Paige. Yeah, it's but that scared the fuck out of me, even though I knew it was coming. This movie scared me a lot. I, I think because, like, in my position, jeez, oh, I have seen people die of suicide in front of me, or similar. Critical incidents have happened in front of me. I don't know how to word this in like. A... Yeah, no, I think that's fine. I think that works. Well, I mean, you probably I completely understand. You can't talk about it in detail, obviously. Right, 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 right. Yeah. But I mean, like, it really does capture the kind of some of the feelings. Yeah. That go through with that as a helping profession. Now, granted, we could talk about does this help with mental health stigma or not? You know, probably not. Probably not. I I would say my logic problem at the end would say no, hard <laughs> no. <laughs> I have to be careful because like w- like when I do witness stuff like like you have to be very mindful of PTSD symptoms. And one that I get when I get into a bad spot is like really vivid nightmares. Yeah, mm. where I, like people die by suicide in front of me. Ugh. Very violent stuff, or I'll be on the phone with somebody trying to talk them down and they will shoot they will shoot a gun and hurt themselves and things of that nature i have very vivid dreams like that so the movie really visualized that for me in a way that i was like cool 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 <laughs> this is a fun way to wake up on a saturday morning well this isn't my own trauma and then you do feel like just bogged down i think we've done a lot of movies lately that it feels like people are experiencing something and it's like i'm not crazy and then i'm like well, you're acting like i i because I, I try to put myself in like the helper's perspective yes. where i was like i would also put you in the hospital uh, i would have prescribed that thing you asked for when she's going off on her boyfriend about calling her uh therapist over to like provide some support and she's like yelling at him for not believing her i'm like i feel like he's doing what any love per like any loved one should do like he's trying sort to get you help of. he may not be going about it the best way but like <laughs> then he adds like i googled mental illness and it's passed down to the mother and i was like oh <laughs> yeah i mean there are some negative things that he does too but he is ultimately just trying to help her i liked his character i like the cop too because the cop she didn't try to drag him in but he like like I said, he's like probably one of the best cops we've had in a horror film where he like did police work and figured he, out. And he did listen to her and yeah, had kind yeah. of figured out the chain. Yeah. Uh-huh. I honestly thought at the end when he calls her and says, hey, there's been like 20 cases, 19 of them all ended in suicide except for this one. And like I thought that the reveal at the end was he was going to be a witness in one of those 19 cases. And that he was going to smile at her at the end and then kill her. 
and then that was going to sort of restart with like a second movie we would get with him, which is sort of like that sort of it's is kind of what happened. Yeah, I kept waiting for and and this is the movie, I guess, being smart because it kind of perpetuates that dread. But that last kind of section where she's at she comes home and the therapist is there and then it turns out it's not the therapist. Yeah. I kept expecting that to happen anytime she got in a car with someone. Oh, yeah. And the fact that it never did drove me nuts because the whole time she's in the car like with her boyfriend and she's like I need you to listen to me I'm like if he smiles I'm fucking out like that like I'm just so ready to jump out of my skin with it like if he smiles yes and then later with the cop I kept waiting for him to do it too uh can I reveal my logic problem that I think ruins the metaphor of this movie yes please yeah yeah after you do that I want to reveal my 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 problem with the, the plot too okay so at a certain point once they figured out the chain and that it needs to have a witness my thought when she was like great I'll just have to be alone I was like okay so she's just going to die by suicide without anyone around and that stops the chain right like She's going to go into the woods and take her yes. life. Yeah. And, and that's and she's going to be at least no one dies after me. Right. Or right? it gets mad at her for isolating, which I would thought would have been a super interesting kind of half yes. of the film of like she's in a cabin and it's like, go find a fucking person. Right. Or <laughs> she gets. OK, so like at the end, when she goes to that cabin, I thought she was going to like get there and immediately torch the cabin with her inside. Everything dies with her and there's no witness. That's what I thought was going to happen. I thought that would be a better ending. I think I did but at the same time I was like what is that saying about the nature of suicide you know that like in I mean I know that within the story it makes sense but like as part of the metaphor I really kind of hate that yes you don't want to glorify suicide in any way especially like right. when you're fighting your demons like I'll take it out with me right that's not a good metaphor it's yes. not a good metaphor and so then it looks like she's encountering that like she's you know she's working with them and I'm like okay so maybe if it needs trauma and if she addresses that trauma head on it goes away and it does kind of fake you out as if that is the case yes it does yeah and so then i was like okay that's a lot better as a metaphor because then it's her being like you don't control me anymore and i'm like love that but then no it splits the difference i was about to and say gives yeah us the worst <laughs> of both worlds we're yes. like yeah not only does she kill herself to make it stop or rather she gets possessed and then and then unfortunately you complete know that suicide. leads her to complete suicide yeah uh but then she still takes somebody out with her because he showed up to help yeah. this is my big problem with it too so i'm glad you said that i think it would have been cool here's how i wanted this i wanted this to be a franchise but i wanted it to be like a what if it was like more of a darker more modern nightmare on elm street where this entity haunts you but it latches on to your extreme trauma. So if you isolate yourself, you have to go through your extreme trauma and confront this entity in it to defeat it. That's sort of what she does at the end of this movie, but she just doesn't defeat it. Yeah, yeah, right. But then I thought that's where it was going, and I was like, oh, what a cool-looking franchise. Like, this thing could come back, yeah. and it could be, like, different traumas. Yeah, Mikey, I would have loved that. If she had survived, though, at the end. That's his house, if you remember correctly. That's whose house? His house, where they're dealing with the loss of their daughter and, and being in a new place and everything, and they essentially have to confront the witch in their home and yes. kill it. Yeah, yeah like... That's kind of what I thought was going to happen. Sorry. When you said his house, I thought you meant 
the cop ex-boyfriend's house? And I was like, no, that was her mother's house. You meant the movie his house. And you are absolutely right. Yes. Yeah, I was just another movie where trauma confused. is yeah. the yeah. real <laughs> villain. Yes. Yeah, sorry. I was looking at you like you were crazy, but you were absolutely right. I just missed it. Yeah, well, I sorry. kept talking about it. I was like, Todd, I was like, we watched this three months ago. <laughs> yeah, because basically this movie tells me I will eventually die from my work. Or your trauma. It doesn't have to be your work. Like for me, well, I don't my work see that is in my, my work. Trauma. Yes, no, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. And you're right, Mikey. But I don't love the way this movie ends because it is a bit of a downer. Yeah. Um, but you know, a lot of movies, especially in the horror genre, do end sort of nihilistically, and I'm just not a huge fan of that. Well, it has that trope where like it was actually alive and like, you know, you didn't defeat it. I hate that trope of like yeah. well, the whole journey's pointless. Yeah. Yeah. It it just kills you in the end. Yeah. Well, and I think they probably did it to make an another one. There's no way they're not making another one of these movies with that guy who was the cop, right? Yeah, you yeah. could have done that without her dying. Like, like they could have gone into that trauma. It could have popped up somewhere. Like, it could be like, oh, we killed it. We cut, we cut the chain. But then, like, it just starts somewhere else. Well, you're right. Yeah. And, Mikey, because it is trauma that starts it, Right. Trauma happens every day, whether it's with that trauma demon or whatever it is, you know, or not. Right. I kind of dug the trauma demon because like, as the movie goes on, it shows more personality. And I was like, this thing's kind of scary. And I kind of like, I mean, except for like the reveal at the end, which I was like, that was probably unnecessary. Oh, you mean when they pull its face back and it has like nine smiles? Oh, too, too many teeth. Yeah. It had too many teeth yeah, in that face. I, I can't be sexually attracted to a villain like that. I Doubt it. Like that had all the teeth, Mikey. I'm like, you even text us while you were watching the movie. Yo, her mom could get it or something like that. And I assumed that was when she revealed her full face. I didn't say that until she got nine feet tall. And then I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, all right. Because Mikey just really wants to be picked up by a woman. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, actually picked up. I want to feel safe. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you want to be the little spoon sometimes. I get it, Mikey. I do, uh -huh. too. Yeah. Sometimes you just want to be held. But anyway, this movie depressed me. <laughs> <laughs> this is a depressing movie. I do think we're going to have, just because of uh, what you do every day for your <laughs> yeah, job, Mikey, yeah. I think we're going to have some interesting conversation. And honestly, because I had a lot of trauma growing up around the same time she did in this movie, yeah. like... You can bring the childhood in. I'll bring the adult part in. We'll be I'll bring adult. the not sleeping in. I do a lot of high intensity DS. And how I train people. Because like, okay, if you work with a high risk population, things could go wrong and you could, it's awful. It's tragic. It's just tragic and things go wrong sometimes. Because even if you say everything the right way, the person in crisis gets a vote at the end and their vote is the final vote. And like it counts more than yours. And that sucks. Yeah, it's ultimately the one that matters. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know. It's just... I've seen this before. It's just it's just hard. It's just really hard. It's really hard to, to watch someone hurt themselves. And, and, and like not even I don't want to say to completion, but like like I've had people cut themselves in front of me that, I've, you know, we've had to stop cutting themselves and things like that. I mean, like, yeah, it's just all that stuff's traumatic. It, it is. It is traumatic, especially if you're a protected sissy doctor, psychiatrist getting paid four times as much as me. Probably more than that. Getting to sit in your cushy office when I'm yeah. out in the field, in the wild, getting these people to go to get services from you. Yeah. She worked on the weekend. Give me a break. <laughs> I'm kidding. This is like really inside baseball stuff. I know. And it's stuff that I, I get because I know like what your job entails and stuff. But like, yeah. No, I'm just saying, I'm just making fun of psychiatrists and doctors in general. But like, it's funny. Yeah, I did sort of think that, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Mikey, but like the place she's working is sort of like where you talk most people into going, 
when you're seeing them in the wild. Is that the case? It looks like she works in a high acuity inpatient unit. Yes. It's at a hospital. I mean, like, there's a lot of strong opinions on cohesive treatment and involuntary commitment and things like that. Depending on your state, the laws are different. But I think she's definitely in, like, the highest acuity part. The place I work has voluntary beds. I do sometimes, unfortunately, have to put people in the hospital who we can't maintain. Are they are a danger to them, like an imminent danger to themselves or others. Sure. Uh, and so that then they end up going to a hospital. And that's traumatic in general. So you try to do it in the most tra trauma-informed way and try to give people as many choices as possible. But yeah, it's never... Like all of this movie is just trauma, like work. It, it, I was like, oh boy. Yeah, it is all heavy trauma work for sure. Yeah. Work Mikey does not come to this podcast. Silly Mikey works at this podcast. <laughs> does it make you feel better that... The giant woman at the end of this movie, I have the same problem with like all of the ghosts in the Conjuring universe where her makeup just kind of looks like a juggalo and I'm no longer scared. I was fine of her just being like a dirty version of her mom. It was when she yeah. turned into the CGI creature or the tall woman that yeah. I was like, eh, not scared. Eh, if they yeah. could, the camera could have just cut, they could have just cut that out, saved probably 50G on CGI and it's still been just as scary. Honestly, her mom just following her around that house, smiling at her fucking terrifying scarier. yeah scarier when she's in the cop's apartment and he smiles at her and then like tony collette runs at her and i was just like oh yes like that's the scariest version for me that's the hereditary version yeah. and it fucking scares the shit out of me <laughs> yeah to me it was the first night she goes home when the patient dies by suicide in front of her and she just sees her in the room when she wakes up in the middle of the night oh in the shadows yeah because i've totally been there for something like that or like yeah like definitely been in that mind space and i was like oh this is terrifying <laughs> yeah do you remember in hereditary where there's like the man just outside the shadows where they used they do that a lot in that movie that I find really fucking freaky. Uh -huh. yes. And they only do it really that one time. The rest of the time in the movie, it's a little more obvious. But like, ooh, if it had just been a constant and every time she's in her dark ass house because she doesn't turn off, turn on lights or whatever, or every time she's just kind of like out of the corner of her eye seeing people, fuck, that would have been terrifying. Absolutely. I also think this movie scares you by like, giving you a really good perspective of like what it feels like to like lose touch with reality of like how terrifying yeah. that is man when she is literally experiencing the trauma or whatever and she is killing mustache or whatever and yeah. everyone's reacting to things that she has done that she does not remember doing. That is especially terrifying to me because we didn't see her do it. I don't think she killed Mustache. Well, and she might not have. It, it might have been the demon or whatever. I don't really know what to call the smile monster. It might have been, but what, what would have been extra freaky to me, because they have that like security system in the house yes is for them to like roll back the tapes of her killing mustache i, I would be like not oh like god yeah. like oh my the god only I, I, the only reason i say that is because every other scene it's a hallucination of all the stuff that happens to her right it, the, the creatures never made her do something against her will before it's all just been her hallucinating no but also if you remember when she has the sister with the car window one and the little boy is watching from the window and he's essentially watching her react to that hallucination in real time. Yeah. There's a part of me that's like, we don't know what is happening 
in real life when she is hallucinating we have an unreliable narrator yes that is true yeah because we don't really know what's going on when she is hallucinating so i fully kind of believe that she killed mustache and just is not conscious of it yeah exactly Paige. she's just not conscious of it i agree with that yeah especially because the the demon entity or whatever does not seem to be able to make corporeal decisions without possessing someone so like it doesn't kill people it convinces people to complete suicide does that make sense yeah yeah so he doesn't have to do anything or i don't know if it's right. a he, the demon the smile monster whatever it is right doesn't have to do anything right so in that case that made me think that she had to have been the one that killed Mustache because she also wrapped that present. Yeah, she did. We saw her wrapping it. But it showed her wrap the train. It showed her wrapping the box. Mm. Just the box. Yeah. I don't know. If, if she had done other stuff or if it tricked her into doing other stuff, I don't know. Maybe Mustache shouldn't have been such a little bitch. <laughs> no, mustache was mustache nice. was adorable i literally was so mad when it died or when they revealed that it, it had died i was like did they just reveal that her cat that we've seen many times has an adorable name yeah just to have me emotionally connect more with it to then reveal it is dead and it oh. literally does later in that scene reveal it's dead i was like i am so mad at this movie right now when she takes it out of the box and is holding it i was crying i was I know. like no i know no I love all my kitties so much. I hated it. I don't know what that kid was crying about. I love a P word for my birthday. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Maybe we should just get into the movie so we can talk about it scene by scene because clearly we're going to have a lot to talk about today. So much. Yeah. Maybe we covered a lot of it. Maybe we'll just go fast. I mean, we did cover a lot. Yeah. Have hope, Todd. Have hope, unlike this movie. Yeah. <laughs> This dark, <laughs> depressing, sad, sad movie. movie about how eventually your trauma will kill you. And maybe it's just because I also I, I know that happens and I know trauma is difficult and it, it yeah. is hard to work through. But there is a part of me that consistently has hope that there can be better after and this movie there is definitely just like, can be no! better after. yeah that's the thing it's like there definitely can be better after like you know yeah if my work trauma got to me i wouldn't be able to do my job and i'm able to do, do have coping skills and strategies and help myself when i need to and like go back to helping people and live a good life and like other people can too based on whatever trauma they have but you're right the movie's like nah fuck it you die yeah anyway we open on a dead lady uh, who appears to have died by overdose, unfortunately. Yeah. Judging by the bottles and cigarettes and pills. This opening shot does like a really good job of showing, not telling. Because you see yes. like a lady who is either passed out or expired on the bed. The bed's got like drool on it and stuff. Like it looks It's, it's, it's vomit. That, that's why yeah, I was okay. like, oh, this is death by overdose. I mean, you probably are right. But then it pans up to where it shows like her night table or whatever with like photos and like empty pill bottles and stuff. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, she has a nice family that she is no longer with because she died, right? Well, you you see from the photos, it's it's literally, it's like a photo of her and a husband and yeah. then it's her and the husband and the kids and then it's her and just the kids and then it's her and one kid. So it like tells you through the photos that like, the husband is not there anymore. It seems like he passed away, I think, is kind of the implication we get from the older sister later on. But yeah. like and that clearly took a toll and, and bad things have happened. Absolutely. But we reverse shot to reveal that her her daughter has found her uh, passed away. And that is very upsetting, obviously. And then smash cut to the future where her daughter, who is now a doctor, wakes up on her 
desk. Yeah. And answers her phone. And she is a therapist or, or a, a, a probably a doctor because they call her doctor. She is a doctor, yeah. But like a doctor that Mikey wouldn't respect because they don't actually practice medicine. <laughs> no, she that's is not practicing medicine. She can prescribe. <laughs> I know. I'm just making fun of Mikey. <laughs> no, no, no. And no, no, his no. hate of all she, PhDs. No. They, they, she's a medical psychiatrist <laughs> or medical doctors. They're not yes. Mr. Doctors like Doctor Who. Um, excuse me, contractor who? That's yeah. why he's got the screwdriver. Contractor who? Yeah, yeah, it's me, subcontractor who. His his father was Mister Who. Right, right, from right. Whoville. Fahu Forays. Uh, so that would be a fucked up reveal after forty five, fifty years of Doctor Who. If he then, like, I'm going back home, and he goes back to Whoville. <laughs> Ma, it's me. And she's like, it's me, Cindy Lou Who. But she's like an old lady. <laughs> I threw that candy cane into the water like Titanic. Uh, anyway, so. Oh, my God. You went all the way to Titanic for that bit. I a love movie it. I still have never seen. Well, what? that's where he got his PhD was Whoville University. Yeah, Whoville that's what the University? H stands for is Whoville. Wait, never mind. Yeah, pretty Whoville D. No, wait, Todd, I made the same mistake as you. Where know, you were like, that's I know, the, the H in Whoville. Whoville does not who start with an H, H but w. it sounds like it should. Yeah. Oh, it's too early in the morning. <laughs> Listen, all I know is it's pretty fucking changs of him to get out of Whoville and get a degree. I'm just proud yeah, of him. Yeah. yeah. Celebratory letters wraps for everyone. Anyway, <laughs> she approaches one of her patients. Uh, who has clearly been there a few times. She knows him by name. Yeah, Carl. Uh, and she goes into kind of like a little interview room with him. And he is stuck in what I would call like an anxiety spiral of just like, yeah. I'm going to die. She's going to die. Everybody's going to die. He's just like muttering to himself. He's not really talking to her, although she is sort of right. talking back to him. But he does sort of acknowledge that she's there, but is not really talking to her. Right. Now, here's an interesting side theory that I don't have a ton of proof on. Okay. What if he can also see and he is telling and warning people about what's going to happen? Like if he can just see it, but he has not been impacted by enough trauma to experience it himself? Oh, it's it's a chain. So he can just see the chain, but he's not necessarily in it. Yes. Yeah. Right, like okay. there's something like an oracle of some sort, like somehow he is able to access it from the outside. Maybe. I don't know. Because... The way and the order in which he says who's going to die, I find very fascinating because it's the same every time. And when we get to some of the later scenes with him, I'll reference it again because he changes his refrain to reflect the story. Oh, shit. Okay, I did not notice that. Yeah, I was keeping a close eye on him the whole time and I was just like, ooh. Anyway, she sits down next to him to try and make it a little less formal, I think is why why she does that. But she basically says like, hey, I think that you're having a, a manic episode. And yes, everyone dies someday, but you don't seem to be dying right now. You're not in any mortal danger. Yeah. But I think we're going to keep you here for a couple days. And I was like, I think this dude's been on a ton of law and order. Because <laughs> uh, he looks super familiar. Yeah, Carl. He does look familiar. She does a good job, though, with her de-escalation techniques with it. Like, so. she's honest with him, but also, and like, reality-based, but... But also empathetic. Yeah. 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 That's how I talk to people. I'm like, I'm sorry. Well, and he he says, I'm scared, and I feel like it's squeezing me. And she says, I know it feels real, but I promise it can't hurt you, and we will make sure you don't get hurt. And so that's where they kind of decide to admit him, because he is yeah. kind of... At a certain point, I think, in an anxiety spiral, you kind of get yourself to a point where it's hard to calm yourself. 
you know, and yeah. maybe you just can't. <laughs> yeah. If if he is bipolar in a manic state, he'll need medication to level out a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. He can no longer self soothe or whatever that's referred yeah. to as right. Mm-hmm. He is fully in that spiral. But it seems like he has been in that spiral many times, and people there know him. Yeah. Because he goes there and sort of either is checked in or checks in himself. Right. Yeah. It seems like because he's kind of there frequently and everyone seems to know him. It seems like he maybe checks himself in. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Or like like his parents drop him off or his loved ones, whatever. Something. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, she exits into the hallway of the pinkest hospital I've ever seen. <laughs> it is like hospital by Pepto Bismol. <laughs> <laughs> they never have good paint jobs. Well, I mean, hospitals are almost always white or cream. Behavioral health hospitals usually pick a soothing blue or pink. Yeah, they do. Oh, interesting. Your dual diagnosis rehab facilities also the same way. Yeah, mm. one of our places got like a redo, like a re- renovation, and they did like like a like a gray scale. It looks like super classy. It looks like a dorm room. I like that. I like the grays. <gasps> what? What if this whole movie is just like a Shutter Island situation <laughs> organized by the older <laughs> sister to help the younger sister confront and deal with all her trauma? I mean, Todd, as the one person on this podcast who hasn't seen Shutter Island, it's pretty fucking Chang's view to see the parallels. Paige, it's an allegory. It's an allegory, Paige. (laughs) It's not what an allegory is. So they decide to keep him for observation. She comes out into the hallway. The coolest nurse ever. I love her like head nurse. Uh, who we only see a couple times, but she is like eagle-eyed. And anytime something's off, she's just like, what are you doing here? And I'm just like, yes. Dude, when the cop comes back and she's like super yep. protective of her, she's like, yep. um, she's getting married or she's engaged. She's engaged, but I'm, I'm single. single. <laughs> I was like, he'd be lucky. He would be lucky. Yeah. Anyway, she says, Dr. Desai is looking for you. Uh, and we cut to an overhead view of the hospital where we watch an ambulance arrive and they unload a gurney with a young woman on it screaming that she doesn't want to go in there. This, we will find out, is Laura that she's going to see in just a couple minutes. Yeah, well, we're about to meet her, but first she has to argue with her boss about what's more important, insurance coverage or actual treatment. Well, Well, I do like her boss's response because I feel like it's both real and empathetic. And her boss, by the way, Cal Penn, very excited to see him out and about again. Former Obama speechwriter Cal Penn. (laughs) Yes, yep. (laughs) Also from like Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. Like this dude's been in everything, yeah. But uh, so he, he basically is like, hey, did you send this patient for inpatient treatment or whatever, they don't have insurance. And she's like, yes, but she needed help and the board doesn't give a shit. And what he says to her is not, stop doing it. What he says is, just come to me first so I can help fight with you. Yeah, I I did like that too. He was like, I just need to know because when they ask me, I can't say I don't know. Yes. So please just let me know. Okay, so I'll speak to this. I did wonder if you've had (laughs) these types of conversations because Mikey, like, and obviously you can't say things that have actually happened. So like, I'll tell you in general. Yeah, yeah, uh, do it. At least where I am located, there are two healthcare systems, one for insured and one for uninsured, and you get wildly different care based on your insurance status. Yeah. That being said, there is a general lack of access to care, huge crisis in mental health care in general, for where if I wanted to make an appointment for even an outpatient appointment, it would probably take me six to seven weeks to get in. So that's awful. I mean, that's all of healthcare right now. It took us a month plus to get Jake in 
to yeah. follow up on his when he was sick like a month and a half ago. And, yeah. In this state, if you do not have insurance and need inpatient treatment, some hospitals will take you on charity, but it is rare. You'll usually wait a few days for the state hospital to admit you. For And that that sounds scary. Like a lot of people like assume it's like institutions like One Flew or the Cuckoo's Nest, but stuff, like no one pays for long-term mental health treatment like that all of all at least in our state. Funds have been cut a lot. So like the longest you'll probably stay in a state hospital is like like a regular hospital, like two or three days, maybe like a week max. It's a little different here. There's de- we definitely also have the long term treatment problematic monetization where like it's become a business and it's privatized and people take advantage of that. Yeah, that's because Reagan got rid of all like mental health care in yeah. the 80s. Like all of that was Reagan's yeah. doing. So if you have any like support for these types of people, it's because your state does it, which is why yeah. we don't really hear. We do. Although navigating the access to those programs is difficult even for a person who's not in crisis. And that's part of the problem is that there's a lot of red tape to try and get through to it. But what's interesting is, so the last time we were at the ER, uh, when I was there with Jake, uh, there was a woman who walked in and just said, I am having a mental health crisis. Please evaluate me and check me in. And they were like, have a seat. And they figured out where she was going next because we were both there the whole day. (laughs) And so like, they like I said hi to her at one point because we were passing in the hall, um, but they had like figured out a place for her to like go for a few days and and a plan for her just in the ER. She just like walked in and they figured it out where like I'm sure on a super busy COVID ER, that's kind of probably not going to get the best service that way. But like I was kind of pleasantly surprised at a the empathy and care that I saw people offer her. And B, that they were like, we have a plan in place for this. We're going to help you through this paperwork. I was like, oh, that's nice. Yeah, this, <laughs> Thank God. This is basically what we do as a crisis, a crisis yeah. team. Like all of our beds at our crisis center are grant based. Yeah. And mm. they're diversion beds. So if like if there's a if, like if you want help and you don't have insurance, you don't want to wait, like you can come there or we can uh, uh, refer you there and they, they can stay. But 70 percent of the people who come through our crisis treatment are uninsured because we're not a Medicaid expansion state as well. Right. Which is a, also a huge issue. Yeah. Uh, like every ER in our county has like 12 psych patients probably waiting at any given time. It's a lot. And then there's a lot of wait lists to get into a inpatient psychiatric bed. And and that's why outpatient access is so important because I think we've cut so many funds from the healthcare system that everything is like everybody waits until it's a crisis. And so there's all these symptoms popping up now of we've neglected this system to the point where firefighters, police, EMS, uh, emergency rooms are really the front line of mental health care, kind of like they were with medical care a couple of years ago. Yeah. Now it's mental health care and like first responders are not trained for it and neither and emergency rooms are not built for it. So it's just a big mess. It, and and I think it's like a national problem, but I don't have to talk work stuff. It the is. Whole time. It's called the unhoused crisis we have in America, Mikey. This is not even unhoused. Uh, I mean, but a pro- lot of the people yeah. that have these types of issues and can't get support end up unhoused yeah. because they can't hold down a job and they can't get support to help them get medicated so they can hold down a job. Like it's a vicious cycle that literally started in. In like 83 when Reagan like signed mm-hmm. the uh, removal of all mental health care from federal funding. Well, they were, you know, they were institutions, they're long term institutions that he shut down. Yes. And there's a lot of I mean, like they were also doing not great things, too, but yeah. like a fully yeah. they, they did not fully fund community mental health care. So that was supposed to be the answer to that which, you know, well-funded, robust community mental health system, which we don't have. And it started with 
the unhoused crisis, but now it's not even the unhoused. Now it's like the program I run, 75% of the people we see are housed because it's now gone up. It's such a big crisis now. It's not the unhoused. It's your neighbors. It's your family. Mm -hmm. It's everybody. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, I sound like I'm at work. Uh, it's just, it's just a huge problem. It is. Yeah. Because you know, in America, we want to have the freedom to not have proper <laughs> the medical freedom to not coverage. have the things. Yeah. We need. It's great. Like I yeah. think we are the freest country in the world. Cause we get to go into medical debt. If we ever have a health crisis, mental or otherwise mental or otherwise, that is one thing I do really care about and like a, about California is that we do have some, some, it is not perfect. It is not even great, but like some resources for the bulk of people to have some sort of coverage through the state. However, you got to jump through hoops to get it. Like that's right. the downside. Yeah. Anyway, so back into this movie. Yeah. So her boss is like, have you been here since the last shift? Basically being like, you have not slept, clearly. Yes. Yeah. Another point where I uh, connected. I was like, oh, poor work-life boundaries and balance. I was like, great, great, cool, 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 cool. Also leads to bad things. It does. Uh, so she is about to leave when her phone rings and she answers, which part of me is like, I wish she would have just left. We wouldn't have had a movie. But, you know, <laughs> anyway, she gets the call. She answers it. It turns out to be a young woman who only days before watched her professor kill himself with a hammer. And oh, she now is distressed in a, in a heightened state of distress. So Rose, the therapist that we've been following, sits down with her. Her name is Laura. And she's like, I just need you to listen to me. Like, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I need you to listen to me. There's this thing. It looks like people I know, but it's wearing them like a mask. And it's this like it's a smile, an evil smile. I can't figure out what's going on, but it wants me to do things. It tells me I'm going to die. All of this. And of course, from an outsider's perspective, like if if this was not a movie, a hundred percent. The, uh, as a therapist, I would be like, hey, it seems like you're having paranoid delusions and like we need to address that. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like her reaction is is one that almost anyone would have in that situation. But so she is like, you don't believe me. I got to get out of here. I don't trust you. And then she kind of looks almost past her and screams and freaks out and throws herself onto the floor. It looked like she broke her back. Almost. I've definitely been in this situation and it is unsettling. Oh, I'm sure. But so she freaks out, screams, and Rose stands up to go call in the emergency line to basically get doctors to come help her. Yeah. On that red phone on the wall. Yes. Laura's screams are terrifying. Yeah. And she has now shattered a vase because she is kind of flailing. Yeah. And Rose turns around after hanging up the phone and Laura is just standing there smiling with a shard of the vase mm. and slits her own face open, like literally from like cheek to cheek smile. Yeah, yeah. like up by her ear cheek, down all the way under her throat. Ugh. Yes. And she's smiling the whole time and it's just like blood is gushing out. Oh, this scared the hell out of me, man. Well, and then she eventually falls down dead and dead is still smiling. Yes. Which is very, very creepy. So we cut to an interview room where she's talking to the police about what happened, obviously. <laughs> Yeah. And they're like, you know, had she been a patient here? Is she typical of a patient here? And one of the officers is um, not empathetic 
to people who suffer from mental illness. He's pretty disrespectful. Like, he calls her a head case. He's like, Laura was a head case, right? It seems like right. he, like, doesn't really want to do his job. It seems like he stepped out of the fucking 70s and into this movie. Absolutely. <laughs> like, and the wild. other cop who's with him is, I'm going to say the ex-boyfriend. I don't know that he's the ex-boyfriend, it is, but it's it is very the clearly that, That's right? the implication. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So, and he is, I think, Probably because he dated someone who was either a doctor or trying to become a doctor in this field. He's a little bit more empathetic to what's going on. Right. Yeah. And so he basically asks, is there anything else you can remember? And she says, well, before she died, she was smiling. Yeah. And the really insensitive cop is just like, sounds crazy to me. And I was just like, <laughs> great. Yeah. He'd probably get ridden up for all that. I think he literally says, yeah, she sounds fucking crazy to me. Like he expects to like high five people over shots. Yeah, like, like he's talking about someone's ex-girlfriend who broke up with them or something. Super excited that guy might show up to a mental health call. <laughs> like, anyway. <laughs> yeah. So, as she travels home, the vantage point of the camera turns upside down. Yeah, it's like a drone shot looking down on the car. And as the drone is not following the car. So, as the car goes right. away, in order to keep the car in the shot, the camera has to tip itself upside down. So, the world is upside down. Dude, the direction of this movie, whether it was a cinematographer or the director who, like, picked some of these shots, like her going through the Oculus later, like, all of that stuff, I love it. I love the symbolism in this movie. I think it's purposeful. Me too. I, I I, and the first time it happened in my notes, I just have Midsummer much because that's <laughs> something that happens in Midsummer. A, a very, very similar shot as they're they're driving in it Sweden. Is. Yeah. But the more it happens in this movie, because it happens a number of times, I think it is indications of the power balance of her versus the entity. Sure. Where there are points where she seems to be figuring things out and trying to kind of gain information and then we don't see it as much. And when, when we see her driving with the boyfriend, uh, ex-boyfriend out to that prison or whatever, they're driving right side up. Yeah. And so there's parts of the movie that I think they choose, but, you know, at the parts where she is kind of losing her grip, that's when we really see it turn upside down. Yeah. Which I think is really interesting. So she gets home. She sees Mustache the kitty and discovers that she has blood on her shirt. Yeah. So she goes to shower off the day and the blood. And the blood. Yeah. And pours herself. Now she does this a number of times. She only seems to ever pour herself a mouthful of wine at a time. It's called coping skills. Yeah, she's self-medicating for sure. Sure, I'm, but just like pour a whole glass. I mean, some people don't want to drink that much, Paige. That's fine. Pour less than a whole glass. But she does in this scene and two other scenes later. She pours literally just a mouthful and then has to uncork the wine to pour another mouthful. I'm like, at least pour two mouthfuls. Like, what are we doing? Anyway. So she goes to pour wine and she turns and Laura, the girl from earlier that day, is standing in the house. And in my notes, I just have, oh, this is going to fuck Todd up yes. because she's just in the dark smiling. And so she drops the glass because that's fucking terrifying. Yes. And her now I don't know if this is boyfriend or husband, but she is wearing a ring. So, oh, no, fiance. It's fiance. It's fiance because the nurse says it. Yeah. Yeah. Because the nurse says it. Her fiance Trevor shows up and he's like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Did I scare you? And she's like, I'm so sorry. A patient died today. I'm having a rough time, which I did appreciate that. She's like, I'm sorry I broke a glass. But like, here's what's going on with me. Here's why I'm kind of on edge today. Here's my theory here, because I've, I've dealt with this relationship wise 
when you work in like this kind of work, that kind of trauma stuff, it's sometimes hard to date people who don't understand it a lot of the times. So I do feel like I don't want to say trauma bond, but like, you know, like it's nice to have like a, a lot of people in the same fields, like nurses, doctors, mental health people, police officers, firefighters, a lot of those people, they kind of date each other. Cause it's like hard to find people who get what you do, you know? And like, I felt like they showed that in this relationship in a good way where he almost feels like, like he has like a kind of a wall where he can't see past it to like empathize about what's going on. And I've, yeah. and like, she kind of goes to the cop. Well, I think it scares him. Yeah. And I don't know that he is open about that fear and he's definitely not open with her her with his concern like he doesn't want to talk to her about it he wants the therapist to talk to her about it what the things that she yells at him later in the movie i'm like uh, seems pretty accurate to me yeah and like i've been in relationships where like i'd be like oh this happened today and i wanted to talk about it and they're like i don't want to talk about that it's like really dark and i'm like cool cool, 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 cool. i mean with your line of work i do also think that at some point there would have to be separation because they cannot be your therapist. Yeah. Well, I don't want them to be my therapist, but like, I can't even tell you about my day. Sure. But like, like every, every aspect of my job, I have to go talk to a therapist about, I don't have a partner who can understand. I do feel like a lot of times you talk to us about it. Yeah. And you guys, and you guys are good listeners who are empathetic. And I, I have not gotten that in some of the dating situations. Sure. But there have also been times when you have said stuff and I have had to say to you, I understand. I empathize and I'm sorry that happened to you, but I, I cannot be the one that has this conversation with you about stuff. Yeah. Some people are uncomfortable. No, it's not not from that, but from a, hey, this seems heavy and you should have a conversation with someone with more skills than I about it. I'm here to listen to you about it, yeah. but I cannot be the only one. But not every time. Like, I don't need therapy about every call I go on. But no, it's hard not to talk about stuff that's exactly. going on with me. But it is heavy and weird and dark. Yeah. And some people are uncomfortable with some of that. Not saying that you are, but I mean, like, some of the calls are darker than others. Sure. And so it's hard to not be as open, especially if I've had to listen to, like, the email drama with Susan. Like, if I have to listen to that, you should have to listen to my stuff. Sure, sure. <laughs> I'm just saying that you, your, your stuff has a different magnitude <laughs> to it. Like, it and, and you know that. Yeah, like, the emails with Susan, quote, unquote, was not us witnessing someone take their own life at work, right? Our stuff is less emotionally impacting. I think. Yes. Yes. So, but like you see these fields. Yeah. We'll go get drinks and stuff and talk about this shit. Yeah. Sure. Like that's what we do. And like, it is hard in a relationship. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure. And sometimes you need to just talk about it. And sometimes you need someone to guide you through it. And like your friends and loved ones can listen and should listen and empathize and stuff. But if you need someone to guide you through it, you need a therapist. I'm not saying you in particular, Mike. Yeah, 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 yeah. Although you definitely do. But <laughs> I mean, everyone out there, if you want to like talk to your friends and family about the trauma you've gone through awesome they can definitely listen and should listen but if you need to work through it you probably need a professional yeah if you need to process yes there is also something to be said for your partner cannot carry everything yeah it, it is not responsible to expect that of one person for them to carry everything and it's okay to have other people in your life that you work better at or or talk over certain things with I love my husband. I don't talk to him about my comedy career and the in-depth of like, what choices should I make? What show should whatever. There are other people I talk to about that because that's a better 
sounding board and that's okay yeah yeah and so like oh a hundred percent so i i kind of understand to a degree a partner feeling a little overwhelmed with some of that information especially given the emotional gravity that doesn't mean that the way he reacted is appropriate it's not it's not empathetic and i do think there is a level of empathy to being a listening ear but i also think that the expectation can't be for them to hear and carry all of it yeah that's why communication between partners is so important. Like they're engaged and she is yes. has this as her job. This is stuff that they should have talked about early. Like, hey, sometimes this kind of stuff happens at my job. How would you like to handle this as a couple? Or or I think the conversation, you know, with him should have been something like, I understand and I want to be here for you, but I feel uncomfortable and ill-equipped to receive this information or what do you need for me in moments like this how can i help you like who can i connect you with how can i help you how can i give you space or not give you space because i can't carry this and that's a fair thing to say to people because sometimes it's like i don't want to process but i want them to know that if i'm not myself this is what's happened today sure sure that, sure. I'm, that I'm holding on that, that it, that's on my mind which i think is what she's doing in this scene right here is like mm -hmm. Hey, somebody died at work. I'm not going to be myself. And I feel like he even receives that information well. It's when it gets escalated and like out of hand where at a certain point in this movie, he's not being empathetic, but he is trying to get her help. And I'm like, she well, really probably needs defense, to talk to this therapy lady. <laughs> yeah. yeah. In his defense, she is like actively hallucinating by all means. Yes. Anyway, he offers, he's like, should we bail on dinner tonight? And they're going to dinner with her sister and her sister's husband, who, by the way, birthday party later in this movie aside, her in-laws kind of suck. Like, like her sister and brother-in-law kind of suck. I don't like them in this movie. I mean, they are definitely going through their own thing. Like, it's clear that she has and maybe has dealt with some of the trauma from her mother taking her own life maybe differently than, uh, you know, our main character has, Rose has. But, like, I mean, they are not great people. Like, there are some funny moments with that brother-in-law character, like when he's, like, eating one of those things and she's like, oh, I yeah, told yeah. him not to take that out of the oven yet. And he, like, just slowly backs out of the room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so should we skip dinner? No. They got a sitter. So they, they do go to dinner. And she's distracted. And she probably should have stayed home from dinner. But I think she knew the reaction wouldn't have been good because her sister seems to have zero empathy at all and, and also yeah. doesn't seem to have any understanding of boundaries regarding other people's goals, aspirations, and careers, which I hate because she's just like, why wouldn't you make money? Like, why would you do the thing you like that doesn't make money? Yeah, like even I think it's her brother-in-law says something to the effect of why even become a doctor if you can't exploit it to get like insanely rich or whatever, yeah. which I get that there are people who go into it for that sure. aspect of it. And that's fine. As long as they're good at what they do, I don't care. But like, I understand why you would want to help people. And sometimes those people People who are just out to help people get exploited because of that and are not paid what they are actually worth by society because yeah. there are jobs that people actually want to do because it provides a lot of I don't know if it's quality of life, but like the sense of I'm actually helping people and a yeah. lot of people want to do that. I think teachers fall into the same trap, too. There are a lot of people out there who want to be teachers because they love kids or they love teaching or whatever That's it is. My mom. My yeah. mom loves being a teacher and therefore has been a teacher for like almost 30 years yeah. because that's what she loves doing. I was making more money than my mom at 19. So like yeah. <laughs> in retail, like so that should tell you how badly <laughs> teachers are treated in the country. Uh, but she does it because she loves it. 
Like, yes. I have been trying to get her to retire for years. Not happening because she loves it. And like, I feel like at a certain point, you kind of have to accept that people are going to do what they love. And that sometimes complicates things. But I'd rather have somebody be doing what they love than miserable. Right. Yeah. Right. But then on top of that, she's like, I don't know why you don't sell the house for money. Like all these things where they're just needling her of like money, money, money. And it's like she doesn't need money. Like, do you see the house she just came yeah, from? Yeah, they're like, clearly fine. She's a doctor. She's doing fine. Yeah, and she might be like a low-paid doctor, but she's still a doctor. No, psychiatry is like really in demand. Yeah. Well, I mean, is what she does, like does what her job is get paid really well? Is that why you hate them so much, Mikey? No, I don't hate them. <laughs> if you have a doctorate, it pays considerably better. She's an MD. Yeah. She's a psychiatrist with an MD. She's a medical doctor, a full medical doctor. Which, by the way, in on the insurance tier, commands the highest price. So yeah. even if she's doing air quotes pro bono work if they file it with any insurance company at all it has the highest return for the hospital even so you know um well and i guess that's what they're trying to say of like you could go into private practice and make a lot of money she probably could but it's actually very difficult to be a practitioner at that level in private practice because most people can't pay for it privately yeah most people could not afford what her rate yeah. would be I'm so, sure she's bringing in three, four hundred thousand. Yeah, probably. I mean, she does have a beautiful house. Yeah, but also <laughs> her job is a fucking nightmare. So give her the yes. money. <laughs> like, yeah. whatever. Anyway, so her sister, insensitive, shallow. Yes. Is like, hey, you're coming to the birthday party on Saturday. And she's like, no, I have to work. And she's like, you work on Saturdays? And I'm like, she's a doctor. <laughs> like, yeah. And I get that she would probably have like a schedule, like attending schedule where she has to be at the hospital. And doctors have to be there at all hours. Like, she might have a very terrible schedule. Yeah. So she kind of lashes out at them at dinner because they've been needling her this whole time. Like, that to me was a reasonable response. Yeah. And then, and she's just went through a, a trauma. So she's not. Yeah. Well, and I don't think she told them about it because she probably didn't want to ruin dinner. But I feel like if she had been like, quit fucking needling me. I watched somebody die today. They would have been like, oh, shit, we're assholes. That's how I feel like half the time. We're like, I wish I could be honest, but I'm going to sound like a weird ass person. But like, this is why I'm like, you feel isolated when you witness a trauma like that. And you feel like you can't tell people because you're at dinner. And then like, you're just annoyed the whole time. I feel like you should tell people and not details, but just like. Hey, I lost a patient today. I'm probably going to be upset. But that feeling isn't unique to you. And I know you know that, Mikey. Yeah. Like anyone who experiences trauma deals with that on some level. It's just that you yeah. in your day job might have experienced it four hours ago. And now you're expected to be at dinner with your yeah. friends. And you're like, give me another bourbon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Even at a job that's not like that, like there have been weeks recently where like i'll go through days where i had 12 meetings just in a row mm -hmm. you know on zoom and i'm just exhausted and to me that's more traumatic <laughs> uh and, and they're important but you're just, at the end of the day you're like if i have to talk to another person and so jake and i have been really good about like when he gets home or whatever me just being like hey here's what's happened today i need to go drive around in the car and listen to a podcast or some sort of pop music and not talk to people. It's not personal. It's not that I don't love you. This is just what I have to do to stay but sane. That's, that's good communication. I mean, like to me, that's a really good 
couple's communication there. Because mm. you're able to express everything, say what I want them to do, and he had a and he has a moment to respond and be empathetic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, cool, I'm going to play video games and order sushi. And I'm like, you do that. But he's not like, oh, we're supposed to go to dinner. Why can't you do that? Like, no, I'm the one who's like, we're supposed to go to dinner. And he's like, you haven't slept in two days. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you need to sleep. We're not going to dinner. <laughs> anyway, she feeds the cat. And meanwhile, we cut to the hospital the next day. And she's just like staring at the coffee maker. Been there. Uh, and says to her nurse, like, hey, there was another case in conjunction with the girl that came in yesterday. Can you have them send me that case file as well? And I don't think they would do that, right? I mean, maybe because it's part of her file, like at least her witness statement, which she does get. Oh, she asked for the file of, of the death that Laura witnessed. I thought she was asking yes. for Laura's file. My bad. I think if it's public, if, like, if it's investigative records, you could do a information act request on it maybe like a foia like a freedom of information yeah. that would take a year and a that half that would take forever yeah. why don't you yeah. call your cop ex-boyfriend and just like print it out for you that is essentially what she does later on yeah <laughs> that is what she does later on but what she gets in this scene because we do see her reading it later i think is just laura's witness statement of what happened that seems to be the only piece that she has i wonder if that was in laura's file because if it was yeah. she could get it from laura's file because she yes. treated laura right i think so and i think that's what it is okay. uh, yeah. yes i think but like hipaa also like she has no reason to be in that file anymore so she probably shouldn't be in that right file. because because the patient has uh expired yes yeah um however the one reason she could give for being in that file from a HIPAA standpoint, she has to write a discharge reference in the file and not necessarily discharges and like we're letting you go. But like she has to document the patient's death. Right. Right. She probably could poke around in there, but no one else in the hospital probably should. They probably would lock that for everybody. Yeah, I mean, technically meaningful use under HIPAA covers groups, which means anyone who could potentially have it as part of their job to transfer that information could have access to it to transfer. But they also would be tracking the access to it for sure. And it would definitely be locked down to certain people. I know you guys know because of what you do way more about like medical health records than I do. But yeah, <laughs> I hate this. I hate talking about work this much in a movie. Thanks. I hate this. <laughs> anyway, so they're going to get her that extra piece of the file. But as she turns around, one of the detectives from the day before is there. And this is where we kind of find out that he's probably an ex-boyfriend. Like the movie never explicitly states, I'm pretty sure that that's what it is. I think we get confirmation of that when she goes back to his house and apologizes for, yes. I think, leaving the relationship either physically by breaking up with him or like emotionally by like cheating on him or something. But like right, there right, was right. a riff that they don't really go into, but it's clear they had a relationship. Yes. So he's there to check on her and she's like, I don't need you to check on me. But like, really, she fucking does. She just doesn't realize it yet. Yeah. But this is where the nurse is like, she's engaged, but I'm single. And I was just like, get it. I love that energy she puts out there. She's like, you can't touch her. But hey, listen, I'm on the market if you're interested in the look, you know? So she's in her office reading the witness statement. Yeah. And Holly, her sister, calls and she answers. And Holly does say, hey, I'm sorry about last night. We shouldn't have kept after you like that. And yeah. she was like, hey, it's OK. I've been dealing with some stuff. It's been kind of rough. And as she looks out her window, she sees Laura standing in the courtyard, just staring up at her window. Laura, who died yesterday, but she is in the courtyard far away. We can't really see like a lot, but you can definitely tell it's Laura and she's smiling, looking up directly at her. Right. It's very unnerving. It's not like super yes. scary, but it's very unnerving. Yep. Uh, so she hangs up the phone and she walks down the hallway past Carl's room 
where he is sitting and smiling in a very unnerving way. And so she stops in and says, hey, Carl, how are you feeling today? No answer. He is like catatonic. It's a very creepy smile. And he starts repeating, you're going to die. She died. You're going to die. She died. You're going to die. So it does change. And at this point in my notes, multiple times, I just write, I mean, everybody dies eventually. Uh, But he gets up and starts yelling directly into her face. You're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to die. And so she calls a 5150 on him, which, to be honest, even with what we saw. She says 5150, though. So she says. Yeah, she does. I wrote it in my notes. I thought 5150 was California. That's the paper to get you in the hospital. Once you're in the hospital, like if you get violent, they can medicate you. Okay, so I wonder if they 5150 him while he's there because he was voluntarily there, but the 5150 would move him to an involuntary confinement state for at least 72 hours. If a patient gets violent and attacks a staff member, most are trained on like handle with care or stuff like that to to restrain them and emergency medicate them. Yeah. So I bet that's what it is because they are in New Jersey. You see in some license plates that they're New Jersey license plates. That explains the feeling of dread. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so we cut to her in Cal Penn's office or Dr. Desai is his character's name. Yeah. And he's like, yo, what happened? And she's like, he was aggressive. And he's like, no, like, He's never been aggressive. He was not aggressive. People on the scene said he wasn't aggressive. But this is the kind of stuff that leads me to believe maybe she killed that cat, where her perception is different than everyone else's. I mean, I definitely do think she killed that cat. Yeah. But I think it was part of the, I don't think she would have done that had it not happened to her, right? But yeah, for sure, for sure. I think she killed Stash. Yeah. Yeah. We just don't see it, which I'm grateful for. If If an animal has to die, I prefer it happen off screen. Yeah. Uh, but this is where he's like, you need to take a week of paid leave. Which is super nice. Like, yes, he he's like, listen, we're going to pay you. Just take a week off and do whatever you need to do to like get your head straight and then come back ready to work. Right. Yeah. We cut to her upside down driving again to drive home. But on the way, she stops and buys a model train for that kid's birthday. And we do get a, a shot of creepy smiles on the box which is kind of interesting. Yeah. There's a couple things like that in the background, like the windows of the house at the end form a smile. A lot of just kind of stuff in the background or that they kind of momentarily pause on that are linked to smiles. Yeah. Which I thought when I was reading the lobby with the smile, that's what I was... That's what I figured they were doing. I mean, they were doing that, but they also took the lobby as a way to sort of signify the Thel. book of Thel. Yeah. yeah. Which is really like a long poem. It's not like a book book. Mm. Anyway, we cut back to her house where she never turns on lights. That drove me crazy. Like if you're in your house and it's dark, what the fuck are you doing? Like turn some lights on I before know. you get shit faced on wine <laughs> and experience some like hallucinations. <laughs> I was like typing this. I was like, bitch, why don't you turn the lights on? And then I looked around my uh, my dark apartment. Apartment. I was just like, well, pot, meat, kettle. Uh, <laughs> let me tell you about my trauma response this week. It's the plethora of Christmas lights all around my living yes. room. I love the way you say the word plethora, Mikey. It's plethora. my favorite. If you say it like that, it sounds sexual. I honestly don't know which is correct, and they might both be correct, but I like the way I think you say plethora. plethora like it's a part of someone's anatomy. I can't find the... This is Mikey from Harvard, and I practiced this ad for Factor in my car today. <laughs> Can you show us what you practiced? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mikey from Harvard in here <laughs> talk about Factor. <laughs> Nailed it. I have used Factor on and off the last couple of years, uh, especially since 2020. My work is very busy. I have a very busy day job. He does. I have a very busy hobby uh-huh. slash second job called podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so much work for you. <laughs> 
eating healthy is hard. Cooking, I'm single. <laughs> cooking single is hard. And I've loved Factor. Other people, they ship you ingredients. You have to cook them. It takes a long time. Factor, they ship you fresh, never frozen meals. And it always only takes two minutes, which is like my favorite thing. I never have to think about how long it has to go in the microwave. It's two minutes. That's what my dating profile says. Always two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's helped me eat healthier, though. They have a bunch of like dietary options, like low calorie or protein or keto. Is it keto? Keto? Ket- keto. <laughs> Mikey, you said it wrong so many times, I'm not sure if I remember how to say it right. <laughs> it's keto, right? Keto. No, it's keto. It's keto. But anyway, Factor's amazing. <laughs> so just head to factormeals.com slash horrorvirgin50 and use code horrorvirgin50 to get how much percentage off, Mikey? Were you paying attention? 50. Damn. 50% off. Literally half off. That's code horrorvirgin50 at factormeals.com slash horrorvirgin50 to get 50% off. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Plethora. <laughs> I don't believe it exists, Mikey. Yeah. <laughs> Looks like I'm going to have to battle some bad takes. So <laughs> the monster is opening. But also when I'm in like a weird mood, like if I'm like down, I will turn more lights on because I'm like, Absolutely. I want it bright in this house. Same. I feel sad. Jake and I about two years ago, two Halloweens ago, bought a string of lights that are tiny eyeballs. That sounds terrifying. No, they're really cute. We put them around one of our lights in the living room. So if you don't want like a ton of light, but you don't want to be in the darkness, Jake will be like, turn on the eyeball lights. And so we have the (laughs) eyeball lights. We like them. They stay up year round. I'm glad you enjoy it. Anyway, her cell phone rings. Trevor's still stuck at work. Yeah. Uh, She pours a mouthful of wine. (laughs) A splash, if you will. A splash. Uh, Her alarm (laughs) goes off. She drops the glass. She's down two wine glasses now, which is good because usually you buy them in pairs. (laughs) The alarm going off scared the shit out of me, though, because it was like an abrupt sound out of nowhere. And it was already sort Mm -hmm. of tense because it's dark in the house. Like, I hated all of this movie. It was so scary for me. Yeah. So she grabs the scissors, goes toward the alarm. The door isn't open. She disarms the alarm, but her back door is open. And the phone rings and it's the alarm company. And it's like, hey, you know, the back door is open. Are you alone? Yes. Are you sure? Are you sure you haven't let something oh inside? Oh, my God. That scared the fuck out of me. And then it goes, look behind you. And I was like, yep. I was like oh, don't look behind. I thought it was a jump scare for sure. Bitch, you got to run. Like, I would. Oh, man, yes. I hated it so yes. much. Oh. Well, and she does. She looks behind her and it's no one, but it's the phone still on the cradle and not in her hand again. Yes. And it's it's ringing home. So I'm like, the call is coming from inside the house. <laughs> it is like, very ah! much that vibe. But she answers the phone and it's just like the security again, right? It's the security like again, Like she had yes. dreamed the whole thing that had just happened to her, right? Yes. Which makes me believe that she could have killed Stash without remembering yes. that she killed Stash. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So the police arrive. They give the all clear. Uh, and they're like, was the back door maybe not fully latched, dummy? And she's just like, I guess maybe. Like, I don't know. No, because the alarm would not have been able to have been armed if yeah. the house wasn't like locked down and secure. Like when you put in the code to lock it, it would say, yeah. 
You can't. Your back door is open. Close your back door before you get murdered, you idiot. So, like, no. That's not why the back door was already... The, the back door was not already open. Yeah. What are your guys' feelings about the back door? You know what I'm saying? Listen, I'm a fan. To each their but own. But it needs to be opened with mutual consent. Yeah, disarm the alarm. I mean, yeah. I would say... By asking the person to disarm it. Yes, not, exactly. Not by, like, you exactly. Know. Anyway, so they, they're going to go inside, and she turns to Trevor, and she's like... Have you seen Mustache, uh, the cat? I haven't seen the cat and I, and I can't find him. He has, I haven't seen him all day. And she gets him food and is trying to like walk out onto their little balcony to try and like shake the food so he comes back. Nothing. And she's like, I've been in a creepy, spacey, you know, headspace all day. Yeah. Work has been weird. I'm, I'm just venting, but please find the cat. But you can tell the boyfriend is like worried about her. The boyfriend who is yes. um, in The Boys, he's like the... He's like the Flash in The Boys. I can't remember mm. his name in The Boys, but I think he's great. He's great in that show. The Blur? I think it's The Blur. No, it's some train. It's A-Train. Yeah, A-Train. It's yeah. A-Train. You're right, Mikey. I'm pretty sure The Blur is what they called Clark Kent in Smallville when he was running that. God, how much you love that terrible, terrible show makes me know that your hot takes on Doctor Who are just to be disregarded. Excuse you, subcontractor <laughs> who. I like the first four. Smallville was a thing like, you remember those those early 2000s before like TV like got good? Yeah, it was back before we in America adopted the BBC model of making shows as long as they need to be in order to completely tell the story. Like in America, it was every show was 26 episodes, whether they had 26 episodes of story to fill or four, which is why Lost is terrible after its first season. Same with The Walking Dead is terrible after its first season because they get out above their skis. Same with um, Game of Thrones. Lost was bad because they had an overall plot, but they had to have like 15 filler episodes a season. Yeah. yeah. The pilot I'm writing and submitting and stuff right now is only designed to be between six and 12 episodes max. Is that the one you sent to us a few months ago? What starts out at the diner? Yeah, that y'all didn't read. No, I did read it. Oh, Paige. did you read it? I fucking <laughs> loved it. I read it on a flight and I, I, I text you. I remember because I was in Atlanta and I landed at like midnight and I had to wait an hour to get my rental car. And I read it while I was waiting for my rental car. Uh. And I was so, I probably was so tired I didn't write you about you it. You did not tell me about it. Fucking great. Dude, that cold open is nuts. I mean, I, I don't want to like, get into it, it because me of the Renaissance poet, blah blah blah. <laughs> blah blah blah. And I'm like, who is this Todd? What have you done with the real Todd? <laughs> anyway, so uh we cut to an upside down door. It opens into her mom's death scene where her mom wakes up and we cut immediately to she wakes up in bed as if it's a nightmare. Yeah. So she gets up and she's listening to a recording of the session with Laura. And I was like, oh, cool. A snuff recording. Good thing to listen to when you have a nightmare. Good call. Yeah. She's like listening to clues. And man, it's like showing the wave file. And she keeps like yeah. looking at it and like zooming in on it. Well, like it's enhanced. saying her name. Enhance. Yes, it is. Well, is no, it? it's saying I, Laura. Yes. In subtitles. Well, in subtitles, it's saying Laura. And then it'll say Rose. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's what she's zooming in on. Right. Yeah. yeah. I didn't watch his subtitles and I didn't hear a fucking thing the whole scene. I was just like. Okay. It's too quiet. Yeah, it's it's, it's so mixed quiet. real quiet. You actually see the blips in the wave file where it says it. I, I was like, I don't hear a damn. And it goes on for like four minutes. I'm just like, okay, I guess I'll text or something. Like, <laughs> it, it gets louder every time. It though. does. When she even turns it up. And then when it shows yeah. the enhance. reverse shot. Yes, it is very much the enhanced screen from like a CSI. 
Yeah. But like when it shows her like doing it and it cuts back between like the same shot of her looking at her laptop and like her perception of the laptop where you see her like she's really focusing in on that wave, right? That audio wave file, right? Right. And then as it cuts back to her looking at the laptop, you see that face right next to her saying her name. I jumped out of my skin. It scared the shit out of me. Now, yeah, it yeah. was it was bad. Now, here's okay. Do you think that was the mom or Laura? I don't know because it's so fast. Yeah. I can't tell. And she like it scares her. So she like gets up, runs to the kitchen, grabs a knife, and it's revealed that it's her boyfriend who's who was saying her name. But it yeah. was not her boyfriend in that shot. Her boyfriend right. is like a black man. She the person who was in that shot was definitely like a white woman with right hair in her face, but like not like the ring levels of hair in her face. Yeah. But I couldn't make out who it was because it was so fast. Right. And and because we reveal that it is her boyfriend, that's again, for me, evidence for the cat. Uh, because I think if she had had a knife and had stabbed at that ghost, she probably would have hit her boyfriend. I think she would have stabbed her boyfriend. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we cut to she shows up at her former therapist's office before she opens and they have a talk and her therapist is like, hey, I think this is tied to your mom's death and you feeling like you are to blame and being kind of stuck in that. And she's like, I'm not interested in relitigating that part. I just want medication to make the eye pictures go away. And she's just like, no, you don't seem delusional. You don't seem disordered. I think this is your anxiety and I think you need to fucking sleep. Yeah, Rose is literally just asking for medication at this point. And the therapist is like, well, why don't we see each other like weekly? Why don't we commit to doing mm -hmm. that? And Rose does commit to doing that. But she's also like, will you give me something? I don't know what it was. Mikey, did you recognize Respiradol. Respiradol is an antipsychotic. So is it? Okay. That's, yeah, that's a pretty strong medication to just kind of jump on there. I mean, it's not if it's like I'm anxious and I need sleep, that would not be what I I mean, I'm not a prescriber. I'm not a medical doctor, but I mean, like I work with people on a lot of psychiatric medicines. Respiral is pretty strong stuff. Well, she call is yourself a subcontractor. I'm a subcontractor. <laughs> I'm a Mr. <laughs> Mr. Who, if you will. Sure. <laughs> but she is definitely seeing things and she is a doctor who could probably prescribe as well. Right. So, well, that's probably why the other doctors like, why would you want that medicine? Yeah. And she's mm -hmm. like, no reason. I'm just stressed. And I'm like, mm. yeah, stressed to the point of seeing things. Huh? I do love that her therapist is like, we should definitely see each other weekly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, it kind of reminded me of Nightmare on Elm Street 4. No, 3. Oh, you mean Dream Warriors! Where they have like Timosil or whatever yes. it is to, to not dream. But the therapist doesn't give her any meds. And this therapist... No is amazing i love her she's been in a bunch of stuff the first thing i ever saw her in was deadwood she's calamity jane and deadwood mm. and she has one of the best line deliveries of any line delivery i've ever heard in my life and it's like the town is making calamity jane take a bath in like one of the first episodes of deadwood and they like force her to get in this tub and she, it's like hot water and she hates it and she literally gets like waist even she goes oh I burned my snatch. And it's just <laughs> the funniest thing I've ever heard someone say. Anyway, so she puts on concealer to hide that she hasn't been sleeping. And her eyes are super tired because she hasn't been sleeping. Yeah. She needs those Peter Thomas Roth under eye mask thingies. When she smiles after putting on her makeup and she smiles the way I think the character would normally smile, it was still a little unsettling. Yeah. But you can tell this is not the smile, right? Right. That right. That she right. does later because, oh, 
But it was still like, oh, I don't, I don't like this, but it's just yeah. a woman smiling, and I don't know why I don't like it. Well, it's because it's fake. It is. You can tell she's still putting it on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we get to the kid's birthday party. Yes. And one of the adults immediately is like, you're a therapist. Let me dump my problems on you. Which I thought was hilarious. And I've seen exactly this same thing play out at a party with Mikey. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> exactly this. Where Mikey was like, sure, I could talk to you about whatever. Your boyfriend sounds terrible. <laughs> yep. She was like, I was talking about my mother. And he was like. I know, I have my own end game here. <laughs> <laughs> you see, I am not your therapist, so I don't operate under ethics right now. <laughs> anyway, so the kid starts opening presents and, of course, gets to her present and opens it, and it's a dead cat, which, first Ugh. of all, would smell to high heaven. Like, you would smell that cat. You definitely would have. But also, I want you to think for a second of how fucking horrifying it would be if this happened at a child's birthday party. Dude, the child would be, every kid that was there would be scarred. All the parents yes. would be messed up a little bit too. And she doesn't remember killing the cat or putting it in the box. So it's like yes. a surprise <laughs> to her as well. Like it's a bonkers scene. I mean, oh. she yells so loud. But then she falls through the glass table and cuts Holy herself Holy shit, yes. Guys, I mean, we've all done like clumsy things when experiencing trauma and it's hilarious every time. <laughs> oh. But also I like, oh, I totally felt for her because she doesn't remember killing the cat and so when she's like holding it i was just like oh my god like no i know i i was crying a little bit during this scene because she was holding Ugh. it and like i've had those experiences when saying goodbye to pets and Ugh. you know holding them as they're um leaving yeah. us and it's just so terrible yeah well and then she falls through the coffee table yeah. which yeah. at this point i was like somebody should have called 911 or or 988 or one of them <laughs> When the cat came out of the box. She's going to need like, more than a talk line. Okay. Yeah. They probably oh, yeah. do. Yeah. But she falls to the coffee table because she looks through the people that are at the party all staring yes. at her. And one of them is smiling. And that startles right. her. And she like falls back into the coffee table. I would be that guy at this party because I'd be like, this is the best seventh grade <laughs> seven age, seven birthday party I've ever been to. So what you're saying is that wasn't the smile demon or whatever. That was just Mikey. That was just somebody there for the chaos. <laughs> yeah. Chaos yeah. queen. I'd be like sipping on a bourbon at 10 a.m. at a kid's birthday party. Like, this is the best birthday party. <laughs> That's what I'm you get for not so letting me jump on that trampoline. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so she ends up in the ER because yes. sliced up her arms on all that glass. And her boss is like, yo, I'm concerned. Are you speaking to somebody? Because you should speak to somebody. And yeah. she's like, I am, even though she has been avoiding that person. I am speaking to someone. They're not there. <laughs> well, she's been speaking to her therapist and has plans to go back weekly, right? So she's not lying necessarily. Right. But her sister's in the hallway talking to her boyfriend. Or fiance, yeah. Oh, I guess it is fiance, yeah. She's like, yo, A-Train, this is what happened at the birthday party. Also, why weren't you there? Yeah. Anyway, so her fiance Trevor is like, oh, that's his name. I think you mean A Train. Yeah, a Train. So yeah. A Train is driving home in silence, and they get to the house, and she's like, I need you to believe me. I'm gonna tell you something, but I I need you to know that I'm not crazy. Like I believe this, and she lays it all out, and he's like, ghosts, and she's like, not a ghost. Uh, like it's not even like a ghost, except it's kind of like a ghost. They never really explain what it is, which I'm fine with. I don't yeah. need that information, but it's yeah. something like a ghost. She should have said like a ghost. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but he basically is like, hey, mental illness is genetic, right? And she's just like, why are you bringing that up? And he's like, 
because your mom struggled with this. Yeah. You have had a history of, of trauma. These are indicators that something is not going like you're hallucinating. Like things are not going well. We need to take steps. And I need you to recognize that those steps are necessary. Pro tip number one. Yes. Don't have this conversation in a moving car. Oh, no. This yeah. is outside the car. They've parked in front of the house. OK, OK. Good, 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 good. Yeah, good. yeah, yeah. But also don't have this conversation yeah, in a moving car. Still, yeah. a good, still a good tip. There's not an easy way to do this with your significant other. I, I, I feel bad because it, it kind of paints him as a dick, but also like he is taking necessary like he is concerned. Yeah, I think he is showing, and maybe he doesn't do it the best way every time, but he is showing that he cares about her and is trying to get her help. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think her fiancé is a bad guy necessarily. I just think he doesn't know how to handle the situation, and he's reaching out to the services that are available that he knows about. Mm-hmm. Well, and then you have to have conversations with your loved ones of like, hey, you if you're not going to take your medicine or like take care of your mental health, maybe you can't stay here or maybe our relationship can't continue. Like those ultimatums really suck, but like it's hard to live someone with active psychosis and things. I mean, like that's, that's, that's very, your family has to do you, but like, that's a very hard situation to be in. Yeah, it it is. I I think what, uh, well, and I think she probably would have just run, but I, I almost would have preferred. And I think this is why when she sees the the therapist later, they she's like, we should not have ambushed you. That was the wrong move. Yeah. Although that therapist is not really that therapist. Is not really so that therapist. Knows? Yeah. That demon shows a lot of empathy in that moment. It does. Yeah. Um, But I think. The conversation should have been like, I'm very concerned about you and all of this is very concerning and I think we need to call yeah. for help. Yeah. And I don't know that she would have reacted well to that either, but I, f- I feel like at least some warning might have helped her <laughs> the next day, maybe. Maybe. Anyway, so uh, he asks, did you kill the cat? And she says, no, it was the thing, which for him, I think is her saying, yes, I did. Yeah, it's saying, yes, I did, but it wasn't me who was in control, more or less. It wasn't me. It was the one-armed man. Yes. Um, <laughs> so we cut to her looking in the bathroom mirror. Yeah. He's sleeping on the couch. She goes to bed and gets back up. And as she's reading the statement, she Googles the professor and she hears through the doorway of the bedroom, something calling her name. Yeah. And it slowly zooms in on that dark doorway and I was expecting something to jump out at me. It doesn't, Mm -hmm. but it was scary as fuck. Yep. And I just have in my notes, how about no? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No. Yeah. And then the dark doorway says, how about Rose? (laughs) Rose. Yeah. She closes her computer, turns the lights off and tries to sleep. And I fully expected, because we pan over the empty side of the bed, I fully expected her mom's ghost to end up in bed next to her but instead we pan over the bed into that dark doorway and it is her mom's ghost yeah so she wakes up screaming and is in the middle of the street she wakes up screaming her own name or someone screams her name i don't know who it was but it does cut to her in the street almost being hit by a car which is like right that also scared me i was like what the fuck well but that's lost time yeah like all of a sudden i'm in the middle of the street where how did i get here where am i yeah and She is headed to the former home of the professor who died by suicide in front of Laura, um, where she meets his wife, Carla from Scrubs, the best. She is the best and she is great in this. I was so happy to see her in something. Yeah. Amazing. So the wife of the professor, Carla, I'm just going to call her Carla. We don't get a name. Yeah, do it. That's fine. Uh, Carla is like, yeah, he stopped sleeping. He was having conversations with people that weren't there. He wouldn't remember doing things. He'd have lost time. Yeah. And then one morning he was gone and I found out later that night he was dead and I had to identify his body. And 
we see a clip of what his face looks like. Jesus. And holy shit. Yeah, it was rough, man. It was like he was missing oh. the whole lower section of his jaw and his tongue was just hanging out. Like, ugh. Yeah. It was yeah. brutal, man. Hot. <laughs> no. But his jaw had been ripped open like the demon opens her jaw mm-hmm. when it climbs inside, right? Like we see later. Right. But I think there is fully a reading of this movie that all of this is in her head. Yeah, 100%. And that that's why later the entity takes on that kind of an appearance it, because it is informed by the things that she has seen so far. That could be, yeah. The only thing that keeps it in the realm of reality is the cop and the the trail and all that stuff. Yeah. If, if you even believe that he's there. If, if he's there, yeah. If he's there, you don't know. You know, this could absolutely be in her head. Yeah. Anyway, uh, she's like, how do you describe the things that he was seeing? And she takes her into his room of drawings, which the satanic panic nerd in me thought it was super funny that it was like these terrifying drawings of smiles and then just like one pentagram. Yeah. (laughs) Up in the corner. Uh, where it was just like, oh, Hollywood. Set deck loves to throw in that shit. Set deck loves a good pentagram. Yeah, but it is like a very Charlie Day, Pepe Silvia kind of like he's trying Red to figure it out. string conspiracy yeah, yeah. theory. But like, it's clear yes. that he was trying, he being Gabe, the professor who died in front of Laura, mm-hmm. was trying to figure out what was happening to him before it happened, right? Right. And Carla points out a couple different pieces of specifically his brother that he unfortunately witnessed his death. Yeah. Like 20 years before he died, which is like, I think the right. instigating trauma that allows the demon thing to get in. Right. So I have a, I have a fun fact oh, later cool. that, that people have theorized because people tracked it through almost every character that we get more of a backstory for and that everyone in the chain has an instance of trauma in the past that it believes makes them more susceptible to trauma in the future, which is the case with Uh trauma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the entity even kind of references that in the end. But I'll talk about a little bit more in fun facts and kind of how it traces that. But I think everyone in the chain has something like that. Anyway, she also references that he had just been at a conference that he would go to every year and he watched a woman die by suicide. Yeah. So there's a commonality here. And so then... As Rose continues to ask questions, Carla's like, who did you say you were again (laughs) before I let you into my house? And she's like, the same thing is happening to me. And Carla's like, get the fuck out of my house. Yeah, I think Carla assumes that she's a reporter doing a story because she's like, aren't you a reporter? And she's like, no, I'm trying to figure out what's going on with me. And Carla's like, get out! Like immediately, (laughs) like, get the fuck out. So we cut to... She gets in her car, then she has an idea. She goes to see her detective, X, and she just like comes inside and she's like, I need a favor. Please don't ask me questions, but I need you to pull up some files for me, like police stuff. And he's like, it's my day off. She's like, just please. He's like, uh, okay. Yeah. So he pulls up Gabriel's file, but also the file of the woman that he, whose death he witnessed at that conference. Yeah. Well, and gave an impact statement for, or a witness statement or whatever right. they're called. Yeah. Because right. that's how he connects them because Gabe shows up in that lady's police file too. Right. So like it made sense to me that he could literally just search the police database for any time that name shows up and connect and just it track to that it next back. one. Yeah. It would be pretty easy. I'd imagine. Yeah. And so he he tracks it back to the, the woman from the conference, Angela Powell, who's a real estate agent. Yeah. And so then they do the same where they track her back. And so for hers, there's a crime scene video where it looks like she pulled her own eyes out. Yeah. Um, but it also looks like it occurred in a bathroom. And so I thought that was kind of interesting where it's like, what and we never find out but what are the circumstances that led to the two of them gabriel and angela being in a bathroom and her pulling her eyes out um we don't know uh but then 
We link it back to one before that. And it's a guy at a gas station. And he just, there's a video, like a surveillance camera. And he just walks up and stares and then walks over, grabs a pair of shears a la the burning, walks over to the car and just stabs himself with them. And they see on the security camera that he's smiling. Yeah. And they trace it back. You know, at this point, they have a chain of like four. Yeah. And her detective boyfriend was like, my day was fine before this. Like, this is (laughs) what is happening. It's my day off. I was playing some PlayStation 5. Then my ex showed up and made me research some gross shit. (laughs) Yep. Uh, and she's like, okay, do you have a printer? And she makes him use up all of his color cartridges <laughs> to print out <laughs> these crime scene photos. Yeah, absolutely. So she drives to her house where she gets ambushed. This is that scene where that big Oculus window is there. And when it yes. transitions out of it, the camera literally travels through the Oculus and re- reveals the other scene of her like doing more research and trying to find out what's going on. I really loved the imagery of that too. Like, Well, it's, it's her driving. Yes home is is what it transitions to but right side up yeah which by the way is one of the first times we've seen her travel home right side up well i think it's because she's starting to understand what is actually happening to her yes her world is not necessarily upside down she is in a state of threat but right. she sort of has an understanding of what's happening now, whereas before when she was traveling, she did not. Right. So she gets home and gets ambushed by her therapist and her fiance. Yeah. And reads them the riot act. Oh, and yeah. she basically is like, you don't want to deal with me when I get difficult. And then doesn't really say anything to the therapist about it, but is just like, I'm out. Bye. Yeah. She like gets angry and leaves. Which, yeah. I mean, I'm sure people do I react this way. Yeah, I was going to say that. But, yeah. like, they really were just trying to help. Like, I do sort of feel bad for A-Train and the therapist, too. But Well, yeah. And, and I think it's because they're, they're worried about her. But anyway, so yeah. she leaves and immediately goes to her sister's house. And my first thought was, like, why would you go to this house? <laughs> These people are not going to help you. Well, <laughs> like, because she wants to explain to her sister what's happening. And now she thinks she has proof. Right. Although, to her sister, it that's It just not makes proof. her sound... Worse, yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. There's nothing in that evidence that makes her sound sane, even though she is. So she goes to her sister's house, and her brother-in-law answers, and he's like, you are not talking to her, dead cat lady. (laughs) Like, no. And her sister comes out, and she's like, I'll deal with it. And so she's like, how are you doing? Because I think the sister immediately is like, I'm dealing with someone who is unwell. Yeah, and I think her sister has experience with dealing with someone who's unwell in this because way because of their mother because of their mom yeah, yeah. and i think it's yeah. very triggering for the sister to deal with it because it brings up all those old memories oh yeah i'm sure and and so she is like my eyes are open now like i've been cursed transferred to me here are the pictures and her sister's like what the fuck is wrong with it like you like this is exactly what happened to mom is yeah. what she's saying like you sound just like mom you sound just like mom now, here's what would be interesting is if we found out that her mom was part of a previous chain, but whatever. I mean, that very well could be. They kind of implied it a little bit. Like, yeah. you, sound, you sound like our mother. Yeah, you sound like our mom. But she had no one witness hers. Yeah. Well, no, no we did. find out that she did. Yeah. Yeah. The main character witnessed hers. Yeah. Um, but the sister is like, hey, I'm sorry I had to leave the house. Like, you know, I'm sorry that you had to find her. Like, I'm sorry that this all happened to you. Yeah. But you need help. Essentially, her sister in this scene is like, this is not your fault, but it is your responsibility. Like that that refrain everyone says every time. Yeah, about about getting help about your past trauma. Yes. Like, it's not your fault it happened to you, but you're going to have to deal with it or it's going to eat you alive. Right, exactly. Yeah. 
So she stomps off, gets in the car, and then it looks like the sister comes back out of the house to talk to her in the window of the car. But no, it is the entity with an upside down head smile. That scared the shit out of me, man. Because <laughs> she's literally like right next to the car. You see her chest and then you, you see, see her, sweater, her, yeah. her head sort of like dangled out. Like she's hanging brain. Like she's just like swinging. Hanging yeah. brain. Yep. It does look like that, Mikey. And I know exactly what I'm referencing. <laughs> it does look like that. I knew the second that we saw her chest and she didn't bend down. That we were going to get some something crazy. <laughs> oh, it scared the fuck out of me. I literally yelled. It was so scary. But then we cut into the house where we watch the the kid watch her freak out in the car. Yes. And is like, oh, no. Like, that, that kid's damaged forever. That kid's going to have some issues for sure, yeah. He's part of a chain for sure. <laughs> but just a, a cat chain on Forge. Yes. He'll be a comic. Oh, God. Yeah, probably. Um, So we cut to her sitting outside a diner eating diner food. And at this point, I was like, how is there 40 minutes left in this movie? Because it does drag a little bit in the middle. Yes. I do think you could trim it a bit. But her cell phone rings and it's the cop. Yeah. And he's like, why didn't you tell me about your patient's connection? I've traced this back 20 cases with 19 instances of suicide and she's like wait who's the one that didn't and he's like it's this guy he was an accountant named Robert Talley uh, and he just murdered someone and so he ended up in prison but the chain breaks with him except that the woman he murdered somebody witnessed that murder and then it continued the rest of the chain so she's like I need to talk to him Uh, so they get in the car they drive to the prison and he's like I thought this was like a blackmail scheme but like you're telling me it's some supernatural thing and she's like just trust me and he does unfortunately but I mean fortunately for her within the story but unfortunately for his demise later so yeah because he's gonna die at the end of the second one or or whatever happens (laughs) right (laughs) so she asks in the cases you found how long was it between each victim's death and and he's like none of them survived longer than a week some of them didn't even make it past four days today was my fourth day yeah uh and they're like it's not gonna happen to you i promise Eh, you can't really promise that and we find out that he can't promise that (laughs) right as they're walking into the lobby of the prison this is the shot where over their shoulders you see the no talking in the lobby and it's the feel with the smiley face bby at the end of it and that's what gave me the Mm -hmm. heads up that it was referencing the book of feel and also like her tattoo when she's in the shower is like a withered tree tree. yeah yeah and that's part of the imagery at the beginning of the epic poem that leads feel to ask the questions of like why did things die right so Mm -hmm. i think the tattoo was part of it too i just didn't think about it until i saw this yeah okay bby to me means something different i think that was the director being like yo this is about the book of feel baby i think it was before the battle of yavin Oh, wow. Okay. So you are a Star Wars nerd is what you're saying. Uh, Excuse me. A Star Wars subcontractor. (laughs) (laughs) I am indeed a Star Wars nerd. Yeah. Anyway, so they meet up with the guy and and he's like, I won't tell you anything until the cop leaves. So the cop leaves. And she's like, well, I have a patient. And it's one of those things where like, I'm asking for my friend. Wanky blanky. And so he kind of describes, she kind of describes what's up and he's like, the only way it it has to be passed, which again, once this is introduced, I'm like, so if she dies without passing it, it ends the chain, right? 
like that's how chains end. That's what I was but, thinking. Like if she went yeah. out and died, it would die with her, right? Well, right. this one would. I think that there are tons of these types of chains out there in yeah. the world. She just got well, caught up in this that. trauma chain. Yeah, exactly. Paige. Yeah, he yeah. says there's one in Brazil or you know whatever. Yeah, but he's like you have to kill someone or she has to kill someone and make it count. Like make it really traumatize the person who witnesses it. <laughs> it's a real fucked up way to view trauma. It is. But it does save his life? Question mark? Question mark. Uh, but he ends up in prison. Is it worth it? Right. And she says, well, I can't kill somebody. And he's like, you have it. Get the fuck away from me. Yeah. Like immediately. He's like, get me the fuck away from her. <laughs> like, get yes. me back in my jail cell, please. This reaction is one of the most it's fucking great performance. But oh, it's one yeah. of the most terrifying parts of this movie is the way he reacts. Yes, yeah, because he's instantly terrified of her once he knows that she is carrying whatever. Right. And I love his reaction to it. You're right. The performance is pretty stellar. Yeah. And as she's leaving, she's talking to the cop and he's like, what are you saying? She's like, nothing. He's out of his mind. And at this point, I was like, how is there still 30 minutes left? We just have we now have an idea for how to solve this. But also we know the rules. There's only a couple different ways this can play out. So we cut back to her house. And at this point, I was like, why is anyone letting her be alone right now? Right. You'd be surprised. Anyway, her therapist is calling her. She ignores it. But then she shows up at the house. Yeah, she just comes over, which is not normal for a no. outpatient therapist. Well, and also it doesn't really happen, we find out, you know? That's true. So, but if someone yeah. did come to your house, if you're in like a psychotic episode, it's probably me. Yeah, it's probably Mikey coming to your house, yeah. But she basically is like, I have a responsibility to notify that you're not in danger, so you have to let me in. So she lets her in, and she's like, how are you feeling today? And it seems like a normal therapy session. Yeah, like the beginning of a session, yeah. Yes, uh, except that her phone rings and it's her therapist realizing that it's the person across the couch from her is not her therapist and she smiles oh, and she's man. like what the fuck are you and is like running away from her and then we hear the demon or whatever say it's almost time rose and i i was losing my mind because the smile yeah. that calamity jane is doing in this scene is so fucking off-putting and so freaky yes. like i hated it so much well, and she's got like alien spit too yes. like, oh, oh but she's like choking her against the wall it is very yeah. much like the spit from alien you're right uh, yeah I liked when she walked over the couch. I was like, how is the couch not falling? I know. Well, because she's not corporeal. Yeah, she's not real. Yeah. So we cut to Rose gets in her car and she's got a knife from the kitchen. She hides it in her sleeve, which would totally cut you, by the way. Like, that's an easy way to slice your own arm open. I would definitely have cut myself because I'm very clumsy. The point of the knife at minimum would have cut her. Yeah. But anyway, she goes into the hospital holding the knife. Uh, and they're like, hey, aren't you on leave? And she's like, yeah, just grabbing something from my office and stops at Carl's room where he's muttering to himself and freaks out. And he's scared of her, understandably yeah, so. Because if he is the Oracle, he knows it's going to happen here. He knows it's going to happen. So she stabs him a bunch of times while oh, Cal Penn watches. Carl's the harbinger. Yes. Yeah, I get it now. Yep. But yeah, she does stab him a bunch. And it's like gross she stabs him and then they both like share a look and then she just starts stabbing him over and over and over oh she looks up and he's bleeding out of the mouth and smiling yes. so it's it is clearly the thing yes and then she turns and cal pen rips his own face off oh. so then he knocks on her she wakes up in her car she hasn't gone into the hospital it's all been a dream he knocks on her window and he's like right hey i don't think you should be alone i think you should come inside and talk with me but she sees him as Carl, so she freaks out and drives off. And at this point, I, I thought to myself, I was like, so if she 
complete suicide alone with no one to see it, does it stop? I think it does. I think it stops this trauma chain. This yes. chain, yeah. yeah. Which, real terrible message, but sure. So, she drives out into the countryside. It's upside down. Right. And she drives out to her mom's old house, the house that she grew up in. Right. She leaves her phone in the car. Yeah. And this house looks like it was abandoned in the 1950s. Yes. Like it looks real old. Real, well, well, I think the it was probably. The last time I saw this house, she was saying, I just pray that I turn into a bird and fly far, far away. It does look like the house that Jenny grew up in from Forrest Gump. Yes. But like it hasn't been touched since that era. Well, I, I kind of suspect that when she was living there as a child, it was also pretty rough because her, her mom was not able to care for herself or her yeah. and probably was not able to care for the house. So I think it's probably been in disrepair for a long time. And then, of course, it sat there for like 20 plus years. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, she comes inside and tries the light switch, which I thought was bonkers because it's the first time in this entire movie that she goes to turn on a damn light and she does it in a house where no one's been paying for electricity for the last like 20 years. So yeah. why would a light turn on <laughs> like crazy? I think they were just doing that to show that the lights don't work so that it explains yeah. why she's using that gas lamp. Why she has the lantern and the gasoline. Yeah. yeah. So she goes to her old bedroom and then goes to her mom's room down the hall and she hears her mother crying and opens the door and her mom is sleeping and calling out for her. Yeah. And we we see her flashback of what happened where we now realize for the first time in this movie, she didn't just discover her mom's body. She discovered her mom while her mom was still alive and asking her to call for help. And she did not. Yeah. Which I think is very complex because she is a child yeah she's like a 10 year old yeah that she was 10 it's unfair to put that on a child which is what she says when she right. kind of confronts this demon later but also i fully understand why when the therapist is like you shouldn't feel guilty for that she's like i do kind of feel guilty for that like i fully get why you would harbor guilt <laughs> like if you're like i didn't pick up a phone but also, you're a child. You're a child. This is an unfair expectation. When I go to yeah. therapy, I'm like the worst client because I'm a, a therapist. Yeah. So it's yeah. like I logically know what you're saying. Yeah. The em Emotionally, I don't feel that way. So yeah. Like, yeah. you do your thing and make me not do that. I mean, this is very much like a similar conversation I had with my therapist in my late 20s when I was working out like my brother's death and like all that stuff because I did blame myself for it. And you just have to realize that you were a kid, too, and you made stupid mistakes that weren't really your fault, but they led to a series of circumstances where your brother died. Yours was fully an accident, though. Yeah. Like, fully an accident. But, but, okay, true. But, like, at that time in my life, I would really focus on the things that I had control of. Like, I was the reason we were going. We were in the car. I wanted to go somewhere. Right. And Survivor's guilt is there. real. Right. So, like, sure. I had to overcome some of that stuff. Like, I wasn't driving. It was a mistake by the person who was driving. Like, nothing malicious was happening. He wasn't being a bad driver. Just, like... Well, and you could have been driving any number of places, whether you wanted to go places or not. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah. think... I know. And I've sort of dealt with all of this in therapy, but, like... I understand why she's having this conversation, I think, really with herself, because I feel like the demon is yeah. like just projecting back her own trauma on her. Yes. And he's like or and the demon's trying to make her succumb to the fact that her mother's death was her fault. And she like 
won't because it really isn't her fault. And then so the demon takes other methods of getting her to take her own life. But I feel like this was the first try of the demon trying to get her to complete suicide, which I get because I've been there. Yeah, for sure. I was fully bawling during this scene, guys. Like, I was so sad. She (laughs) snaps out of it, right? Because it's a flashback. She goes to find a light in the garage. She finds a lantern, which she has to light with gasoline and flames. At which point I was like, this house is burning down. (laughs) Like, whether it's now, whether it's 10 minutes from now, check off the lantern. Yeah. So she walks back to the bedroom and we can hear crying and it's her mom sitting on the bed. And I thought for because she's sitting with her head down. I thought for sure she was just going to like pop up out of that bed. But she doesn't. Yeah. Um. She just kind of stands up and is like, hey, I tried to be a good mom, but I, I couldn't. Everything was just too much. There's something terrible inside me and I hate myself. Yeah. And she basically is like, stop. Like, you know, I'm I'm not ashamed of you. You needed help. I didn't have the I couldn't facilitate that. I was a child, but like you didn't get the help you needed. And then her mom was like, well, why didn't you call for help? Why didn't you save me? And she answers in what I think is very truthful. I was afraid of you. You were a monster. Yeah. You know, like and from that little girl's perspective, what happens if you call, you know, like, yeah. you know, who knows? And she's like, I couldn't. And I carried the guilt for my entire life and I have to let it go. And also, this is not real. And then the mom kind of transforms and she's like, but Rose, your mind makes it real. And she smiles and she's like, why are you doing this to me? And she says, your mind is so inviting, which I think is a reference to if you have that kind of like precursor yeah. of trauma. The early trauma that like makes you more right. susceptible to the chain of trauma. Right. Um, so she runs and at this point I was like check your six because of course it's right behind her but now it looks like a ghoul and she's like I can't escape the lantern falls over it looks like the house is going to burn down and she says if it's my mind you can't escape either and burns it and runs out of the house and watches the house burns down well she literally hits it in the head it's giant head at this point because it's like 10 feet tall just like climbing through the house because it's too tall for the ceiling the hottest version of the monster yes oh god this is when mikey was fully attracted to the mom i was like oh my god lots of teeth teeth and legs Oh, Mikey's wheelhouse. Six feet legs. Yeah. But Rose hits it in the head with the lantern and it sort of catches on fire and she leaves as the house, quote unquote, burns down. Right. So she runs outside. She thinks that she has burned down this house. Yeah. Uh, She drives back and and she's smiling like everything's going to be fine. And I'm like, no, you wrapped a dead cat up for a birthday. Things are never going to be completely fine. Yeah. And even if you did go out to your mom's old place and burn it down, that's not going to make your family think you're not crazy. Oh, no. You're going to prison for arson. Yeah. Yeah. You can burn your own house down. No, not not as, if, long as, as long as it's not insurance fraud. No, not if it's not accidental, because you could have endangered other people in other houses. You can't just light whatever you want on fire. Not without permits. In the country, though? Eh, I mean, they'd be hard pressed to find her, although I'm pretty sure she's the only suspect. <laughs> the one person who owns that house who's been acting erratically for days. Yeah, she's going to prison for arson on yeah. that one. So she shows up at Joel's apartment. That's the cop. And 
she does this whole apology of like, I'm sorry to, for dragging you into this. I'm sorry for what happened. She apologizes for what happened in their relationship too. She's like, yes. listen, I yeah. couldn't handle being in a, like a stable thing because of the trauma I've been through. I'm so sorry that that I was selfish during that time and acted out in ways. She never goes into what actually happened in their relationship, but she apologizes for it. Right. Which I also sort of like that she didn't get into it or whatever. Like, yeah, she didn't need to really. They talk in the scene as if both the main, both the characters in the scene know what happened. Right. So it doesn't bother me, you know? Right. And she just says, can you watch me while I sleep? Like stay yes. with me while I sleep. And he's like, of course, I'll stay with you forever. And he smiles Ugh. and laughs. And then all the lights dim. I was like, oh, Ugh. no, she never left the house. And <laughs> so she tries to move for the door and he runs after her, which is so fucking terrifying. That's the scariest one for me. Can I tell you how they did that or how I think they did that shot? How? Sure. So they make the camera so it can't move. So it's always in that one frame. So everything lines up, right? Right. They then have the guy just stand there still smiling because he's not moving at all. He's just right. smiling. And the, the camera is tracking him across the shot. But leveling. And then when it gets to the point, yes, it's level. And when it gets to the point where he starts running, they freeze the camera there and then have him back up a few steps and fully start running. Yeah. And then they cut to it as that camera continues to move. Yes. So it like in that one shot, it looks like he goes from standing still to full out running in one frame. Yes. So fucking scary though. Like so scary. Yelled when that happened. I was so scared. It it gave me the same vibes as Tony Collette running out of that corner in Hereditary. Yes, that's the moment where I jumped up in Hereditary and yelled fuck at the screen because it was so scary. And it's almost the exact same effect. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so she runs outside and it's just outside the house and it's not burned at all. Yeah. And and it's the 1408 moment where she's like, no. And he (laughs) drives up just as she's realizing it. And she's like, no, 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 no. Cause she realizes he can't be there. She has to be alone like that. That's the key. Yeah. So she runs inside. It's the big monster. She it like rips its skin off. It's got too many teeth. It's got like nine rows of mouth. It's uh, yeah. gross. It's yeah. disgusting. Yeah. And she kneels and it rips her face open and climbs inside. Yes. It's, it's Deborah Logan ish in nature. Like yeah. it is very unsettling. Yep. I mean, I thought this whole part looked silly. It looks yeah. a little goofy. Oh, I wasn't thinking about that. It was freaking me out. But she does like oh. climb inside Rose. Yeah. And so Joel runs into the house. He finally kicks him kicks his way in. Yeah, for that for that house being so like worn down, that lock still really worked. Because he yep. kicks that door like nine times to open it. Well, he, he just skips leg day. That must be what it is. Yeah. That's essentially why she left him. She's like, I need a guy with better calves. <laughs> so he comes in and she is in the kitchen covered in gasoline. Oh and she God. turns, smiles, and then lights herself on fire. And we see her burning alive in his eyes. Dude, that shot is so good, but so unsettling. We, he, we know he's infected too. Yep. And that's, that's the, the movie. movie. So having seen the movie, having gone to therapy, and having <laughs> talked about the movie, what do you guys think about Smile? It definitely mishandles the metaphor a little bit, but I think the concept is interesting, and I think it was really well done. Yeah. Um, from like an actual filming perspective, I'd watch a sequel. Let's put it that way. Yeah. You know, I liked it. I, I I saw on the internet that people didn't. Some people really didn't like it, and I was like, that's an interesting take. I think whenever you're gonna talk on trauma like this you're gonna trigger some people into not liking your movie and that's just like a chance you're gonna take when you're making things 
that speak directly to trauma because trauma is very personal and something that you're going to protect sometimes because it's your trauma and you're going to wear it like a shield until you deal with it. And until you deal with it, this kind of stuff is going to trigger you. I I feel like I heard two very different versions where yes. like where some people loved it. Yeah. And other people, and it may not have necessarily been the trauma, it is kind of predictable as a movie. I feel like if you watch a lot of horror, you see a lot of this movie coming. Yeah. That doesn't mean it's bad, but it it makes for kind of a different viewing experience. It's not barbarian where every 10 seconds I'm like, what the fuck is happening? You know, <laughs> right? whatever. Yeah. And I think in some ways, because of that, because this movie came out right around barbarian, people had a tendency to compare the two. And I think really? that's part of why some people didn't like this movie as much because they're comparing it to Barbarian. Oh, they Which shouldn't. is great. And they shouldn't. They're two very different movies. But that's a lot of what I heard from people was one of my uh, former coworkers that I'm, I'm friends with texted me when she saw this and was like, this was amazing. This is one of my favorite ones this year, but she hadn't seen Barbarian. And then I talked to Armando who had seen Barbarian and he was like, eh, I didn't like it that much. So I feel like depending on what you were watching at the time, it kind of informs how people liked it a little bit. In my mind, it's super weird you can compare Barbarian to this movie because they're both about wildly different things. But now that I think about it while I'm talking, they both have giant women in them mm -hmm. and they both uh, are about trauma Different kinds of trauma. I feel like Barbarian's much more about the trauma we as a society impact on women specifically. And this is this movie's more about how your unresolved trauma, no matter the gender, can mess you up if you don't deal with it. So I feel like the messages are very different, but I can see why you might compare them now that I think about it. I would compare this more to His House. I think Same. that's the parallel for this movie. Yeah. Same. I do think that His House manages their metaphor better than this. Yeah, maybe. I will say I probably won't watch it again. It's just it just hits too close to home. I don't this is not what I would enjoy in my free time. I mean, I won't watch it again cuz it's straight up scary. It also hits too close to home. I'm realizing now that the movies I think scare me the most are also the ones that are like super jump scary but also deal with sort of similar traumas to what I had growing up. Mm -hmm. So like, yeah, this is pretty high on the scary scale for me and I'll never watch it again cuz it was very scary. But I also think the filmmaker, I think it's the same guy who wrote it and directed it, did an amazing job writing and directing it. Yeah. And I think he definitely will get more work whether he makes a sequel to this one or not. Like, Oh, God, yes. This movie made ass loads of money. Yeah, we'll yeah. talk about it when we do box office page because it's, it's done pretty well. But before we jump to box office, maybe we should jump through your fun facts page. Do you have any fun facts for us? Fun facts. I do. Very, very, very few because it's still new. And as I go through fun facts, there are some things about this that may have impacted how much information was available about the movie. Fair enough. Well, hit us with your fun facts. Smiling. Fun, fun facts. facts. Uh, so you probably saw this on the news, but prior to the film's release uh, as viral marketing, they placed people smiling at Major League Baseball games and on the Today Show and a couple other things. Nice. Or, I'm sorry, Good Morning America, not the Today Show. So originally, Paramount made this movie uh, for a low budget that I'm not going to disclose, but I will have to recuse myself. I will disclose it. <laughs> sure. It was designed to be a streaming only release for Paramount Plus. Wow. And it was supposed to be like, hey, this is the kind of stuff that's going to be on Paramount Plus. Wow. But they really? screened it for test audiences and it scored extremely high, yeah. prompting Paramount to give it a theatrical release. So it actually gets a theatrical release. It surpasses its budget opening weekend, like within days. It 
it earns more than its budget back. So their head of distribution has said for this movie that it, quote, exceeded our wildest expectations. So they basically expected to make this movie as a wash, where it's an inside project. It's the Kirkland Presents for Paramount+. Plus, But <laughs> they end up making ass loads of money on it. So the original title for the movie was Something's Wrong with Rose, which I think is also a great title. <laughs> yes, that is a very good title. Um, much like other streaming predecessors, some that got theatricals, some that should have gotten and didn't get them, the title screen in this movie does not appear until 13 minutes into the film. Yeah. And honestly, fucking loving these long cold opens. I am here for dropping a title screen late in a movie. Dig it. Mustache, the cat, is referred to as a he. However, almost all calicos, especially ones with a tortoiseshell pattern on their coats, are female. Less than 10% are male. So mustache is probably a lady cat. You mean the actress who played mustache? The catress that played mustache. Yes. Oh, yes. Excuse me. I, I do apologize. I hope I don't offend any catresses out there. Better <laughs> not have. This film is actually based on a short film. Oh, I'm so glad you're bringing this up. So the short film that this is based on is called Laura Hasn't Slept. Yeah. And the girl who plays uh. Laura in this movie was in the short film. She reprises her role. Yeah. And in the feature version, basically, or in, in the short version, it kind of covers her cycle of not sleeping and experiencing some of this as well. So when they expanded it, they include her story as kind of the precursor for the rest of the movie. As much as I hated this movie... I think I would watch that short to see how it relates to this movie. Because the description of it that I read makes it sound like it happens before the events of this. Almost like it could be a prequel, although I... Yes. Or a short. It's not a full-length movie, but it could be like a prequel short to this, which I, I want to check it out to see if it actually is that, because that seems cool to me. Yeah, Jake and I recently watched Resolution, which is the film that comes before The Endless. Okay. So, like, I do love... Kind of like same university stuff like that. Yeah, but I, I think that's cool. It isn't explicitly stated in the movie, but the curse potentially selects susceptible victims through the fact that they have witnessed death previously. Laura, for example, mentioned seeing her grandfather die when she was a child. Uh, the widow of Gabriel or Carla, as we'll call her, uh, says that he struggled with the death of his brother from an accident that he also witnessed. Yeah. And Rose, we know, saw her mother die. Uh, from an overdose so it's possible that along the chain in the ones that we didn't cover as much they all have something like that um, but the movie just doesn't go into any more than those three so the plot of this film while definitely pulling from that short film also resembles a short story by H.G. Wells where a man kills an indigenous person in a rural place where no one sees it. But as he continues on with his life, he sees visions of a grinning head always looking at him wherever he is that no one else sees and ends up taking his own life. Interesting. And those are your fun facts. Well, thank you for those fun facts, Paige. Let's talk a little bit about box office. So Paige, I know you can't talk about this at all. So Mikey, nope. what do you think the production budget was for Smile? 10 million. Okay. You're close-ish. It's a pretty low-ish budget. It's $17 million, okay. right? Which is not a low-budget movie by any account, but I do think it looks great for $17 million. There's a lot of set pieces that they do a really good job with. It came out on September 30th, 2020. It was number one in the box office. It beat Don't Worry Darling. That was in its second week out. 
And actually, Don't Worry Darling was the number one movie the week before. So Smile does sort of bump it out of that number one spot. And then the number three movie was The Woman King. Avatar was number four. And Bros was number five that weekend. Now, we do know, because Paige mentioned this during her fun facts, that it made more than its budget in its opening weekend. How much do you think it exceeded its budget, Mikey? Like, what do you think it made? $23 million. Shit, Mikey, you are super close. It is $22.6 million. Ooh. So you very, very close. This movie, I think it might still be in theaters, so please don't hold me to this. We're recording this sort of middle of November. As of right now, it has made $103.7 million in the theaters domestically. It's also made $107.1 million internationally. So that is a total of $210.9 million on a $7 million budget that Paramount Plus thought was going to go straight to streaming. So I'm sure they're thrilled at how much money this movie has made in the theaters. And I honestly hope that Parker, I looked it up, Parker Finn did write and direct this movie. I'm sure he is getting very busy with some calls from his agents now because of this movie and its success. I hope so. Me too. Because I really love that he baked in a lot of intentionality into this movie. This is clearly something he's been working on for a while. I mean, if you look at that short that he made in 2020, it is directly related to this movie. So he's been working on this for at least four years, probably longer than that. Hmm. Anyway, I just want to see what he does next. But that's your box office. So, Mikey, do you want to hit him with that scary scale? Yeah, scary, scary listeners is a scary scale of one to ten of how scary we found the film today. Our one example is Ghostbusters. And our ten example is Texas Chainsaw Massacre Page. I'm going to give this a six. Okay. All right. That's higher than I thought you would give it, honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to give it a seven on the scary scale. This was... Very scary for me. It wasn't quite a hereditary level, but it was very scary. I'm going to give it a six. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. And that's uh, our scary scale. Yeah. All right. So this week, you guys made me watch Smile. What are you guys making me watch next week? Next week, it's Christmas, or at least it's December. So it'll be Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. Nice. Excited. And Silent Night, Deadly Night was the movie that had the iconic phrase, mm-hmm. shoot, shoot all Santa's, Santa's on sight. sight. My favorite. Yes. I remember really enjoying the first one, even though it was pretty bonkers. So I'm looking forward to the second one. I think it's going to be great. So your homework for next week is to stream. I'm assuming it's available pretty much everywhere, Paige. You said you said you saw it? Oh, yeah. It was like everywhere. Okay. So go everywhere and watch Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 and check back for our episode next Monday. So, Mikey, do you have a review for us to read? No, I was goofing off. Well, while you look one up, let me tell them how they can have their review run on the podcast, and that is to leave us a five-star text review, and we'll have Mikey read it for you. So, Mikey, whose review are you going to read this week? I'm going to do Kirk, K-C-R-K, Kirk1980. All right, well, what does Kirk1980 have to say? My favorite podcast. Oh, well, thank you very much. Thank you. I started listening to you when Pace sounded different, and I didn't think I could love you more, but I do. Oh, well, that's honestly, I wasn't expecting that turn based on the beginning of it, but glad you appreciate us more now. Thank you so much. You three are the highlight of my week. I'm on the Patreon and always get excited to get my episodes early. And you get them at least a day early. Sometimes it's two days early. Yeah, it's been two or three days recently. Yeah. Yeah. Your genuine friendship signs through and I love all the cross pod jokes. RTB. Yay. I think it's hilarious that people don't realize we in real life hate each other. (laughs) 
It's true. Yeah. Keep doing it's what you're doing. It's just because of your gross feet. <laughs> rude. <laughs> How rude. I hope one day I can see you live, but right now I'll settle for enjoying Paige's Instagram and the fun Facebook groups. Toodle pip. Five stars. Paige is a good follow on Instagram. I like following her because then when I go and scroll through like my Instagram feed and I see a cute animal, I'm like, oh, oh, look, Paige has already liked this as I'm going to like it. <laughs> I would have sent it to her, but she has already liked it. But either way, Kirk, 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 1980. <laughs> thank you so much for that awesome five star review. And if you want to have Mikey read your five star review, be like Kirk, 1980 and leave us a review. So, guys, if you like this show but want to hear this power thruple on another movie review show about romance and romantic comedies, check out Romancing the Pod, where Mikey, Paige, and I break down and make fun of romantic movies. It's a lot of fun, guys. Check it out. If you want to follow us on social, please do. We are at Horror Virgin or online at HorrorVirgin.com. If you want to follow us all individually, you can do that as well. Paige is at Paige Wesley on Twitter or Rampage Wesley everywhere else, including TikTok. TikTok. Mikey is at M Randolph 24 and I am at Todd J awesome. If you like the show so much and you want to help financially support it, please do by going to patreon.com slash horror virgin where you can get a lot of great levels and a lot of great stuff like bonus episodes, director's cut episodes where they're a little bit longer and you get them actually a day earlier mm-hmm, than the regular mm-hmm. feed drop. We do a lot of great things like listener requests and stuff like that. So guys check out yeah. the Patreon and help support the show. If you want to financially support me, but not Todd, just look me up on Venmo. If you can't financially support the show, that's understandable. That's fine. But if you want to hang out with us on the daily, join the Facebook group uh, at facebook.com slash group slash horror virgin. We also link it like once a week. So just find it there and join the awesome Facebook group. Literally, we're in there talking every day. It's awesome. And guys, we got a P.O. box. So if you want to send us some love letters or whatever you might send to a P.O. box, it's actually not a P.O. box. It's like a regular street address. It's pretty awesome. It's 6688 Nolensville Road, number 108-34, Brentwood, Tennessee, 37027. So send us some stuff. Yeah. And if you want to check out our Twitch stream, we're at twitch.tv slash Todd Awesome, where we will be playing horror video games. So if you have always wondered what it would be like to watch me get scared, you can now do that on Twitch while I play these horror games. It's twitch.tv slash Todd Awesome, guys. Check it out. It's a lot of fun for you. Not a lot of fun for me. And if you haven't noticed, since October 1st, we have been running the new Horror Virgin blog. And when I say we, I really mean Katie from the Facebook group. She's been running everything. She's like the managing editor of the Horror Virgin blog. So if you haven't been to our Horror Virgin blog, go check it out. It's at horrorvirgin.com slash blog. You'll see it. It's awesome. There's a lot of great articles. I mean, at the end of October, we have 31 awesome articles up and they will continue after October, not on a daily schedule though. That's just too much for Katie to handle, but check out our awesome Horror Virgin blog up now. This episode was brought to you by Tia and Tia's teenager has been driving her crazy. So how is Tia's teenager driving her crazy this week? She keeps wrapping up dead animals and giving them as gifts. That is a early warning sign. So please, Tia, take your teenager to have someone therapize her. Keep an eye on that triad, yo. (laughs) Yeah. This episode also brought to you by Jonathan. And Jonathan wants me to make you guys watch some spooky spider videos. So let me bring that up now and share my screen so you can watch this spooky spider video called the biggest spider on earth oh no all right so here's the video it really is just like a guy explaining the world's biggest spider 
It's a bird spider because it wrestles it's birds a, down. It's a bird bird eater. The br- oh. the Brazilian bird eating spider, I believe. So it fights birds and eats them. It yeah, it kills and eats birds. It is like as big as this dude's hand, and he's got a big hand. Yeah. Oh my god, I hate cool. it. Oh, that's a big ass spider, dude. Oh. Well, Jonathan, thank you so much for that spooky spider spider video. But thank you more for the support. Like, I think it's the support we appreciate more yeah, than the yeah, spooky yeah, spider definitely. videos. But we appreciate it either way. It's spooky spiders. <laughs> I wish you were on the mic when you said that. It's spooky spiders. There you go. We now return you to another episode of uh, the, the Patreonicals. All right, Ty, where are we going? in time we're going to rome october 6th 1978 that's really specific is there anything i need to know about this time yeah so that was the day they uh made pope john paul ii pope jp the deuce yeah jp the deuce the smoke above the vatican okay yeah you just need to incorporate white smoke above the vatican at some point all right all of these people jump in bruder he appears and he says, I'm trying to rescue you all from time, but we keep jumping around. The, the the donut's broken. Where's the donut? And Shining Donut is not shining no more. He's still deflated. He's crawling across the Roman streets, the modern Roman streets of the 70s. Modern-ish Roman streets is what you're he saying. He looks like a giant deflated uh, pool donut? tire. Oh. <laughs> Sophia the time cop comes out. And she's like, everybody stops. She starts She starts shooting. She just starts shooting people. She starts time. shooting time bullets. Yeah, the time bullets, if you get hit with them, you get sent to time prison. Wow, so it's like tag. It's not like they're going to kill you. They're just like tagging you back to time prison. Okay, that's kind of cool, actually. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Garotica, the heavy metal bitch, she goes to a (laughs) gelato stand. That checks out. Takes an electric guitar and smashes it through the gelato thing. Because she's a heavy metal lady? Yes. All right. Vance, H.H. Holmes, he ends up killing three nuns. Ooh, okay. Just very quickly. Little stabby stabs. Okay. Amy, Mr. Ragebomb, Dreskel, they huddle around uh, with Bruder, and they're like, what do we got to do here? And then uh, they're like, Kate, fly over here. And Kate flies over. And they're like, we're fucking stuck traveling through time. And this, this is taking a long time in the Patreonicals. And they're like, what do we do? I don't know. And then Anthony, he f- appears in, and he starts, uh, he's like, listen, y'all are fucked. I'm going to make <laughs> you keep doing this and torturing y'all for making me listen to this every week. Jennifer with a PH, get him. And she appears, and she, and she, uh, she electrocutes Kate. And what does that sound like? I really love when Mikey does sound effects. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think it's great. Yeah. Here comes the helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, that last one sounded like an airborne vibrator. I don't know what that sounds like. Yo, you never thrown a vibrator across the room? I have, but it was only in anger, so I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> mm, mm. <laughs> Mikey has jealousy issues, so he doesn't want any sex toys in the bedroom. Oh, mistake, my friend. I agree. Anyway, Allie the mermaid, she's in the fountains, but everybody keeps throwing the, the coins in for good wishes, and she gets super bruised up. Oh, no. She's getting, like, pelted with coins? Uh-huh. Isaac, he looks around, and uh, the Mun people, Danielle, Libby... And Aaron were walking on the street and they're like, they're month women and the Italian men keep hitting on them very loud. They're like, it's a me, an Italian man. And then so uh, Isaac uh, eats one of them. Oh, wow. Okay. That escalated. And Karun, Karun breaks one in half. Okay. The, the, the Italians have notoriously weak bone structure. <laughs> what? No, we don't. <laughs> if anything, it is the opposite. They got them pasta bones. <laughs> <laughs> They're al dente. 
Yeah, I mean, listen, as long as you don't get them wet, they're actually very stiff. Their bones work. But if you get them wet and boil them for a while, that's when they get all noodly. Stop boiling us. <laughs> Never get in the hot tub, Paige. Oh, the hell- well, I, can't, I can't promise There's that. an old-timey <laughs> MASH 70s helicopter, and it's flown by Cody the pawn shop guy, and below it, hanging to it on a rope. Oh, yeah. He started the airline Pawn Air. Yeah. <laughs> Bo- it's Boezy, the Florida man. He's just just hanging around he's just like i've always wanted to see rome from a cheap <laughs> from helicopter from the sky <laughs> dangling from below it and uh lauren the cave woman her and alex the magician they get into an, a little argument because she doesn't understand what's happening and then he was like the 70s this is the time of the magicians and she thought it was super lame and she hits him in the toe with her big cave woman club and runs away and but he releases a dove as a sign of sadness. And somewhere in the distance, a childhood John Woo <laughs> sees it and is like, "I'm going to steal that." Nathan, the professional wrestler, he meets Arnold Schwarzenegger because they're filming the film Hercules, Arnold Schwarzenegger's first film. Hercules. And they do like a big handshake. Scott, who's the thing made of rock, is holding Wes his remains, and he heads to the chapel with the white smoke coming out and puts. Wes's body down in front of the Pope and was like, please fix my friend. And then the Pope, as his first act of Pope, puts his hands on Wes. But then everybody quantum leaps out. I was going to say, do you think the Pope can bring people back from the dead? Well, no, he's not dead. He's the Voldemort body. Yeah. Uh, So maybe the Pope can save him from his Voldemort sort of status. Like Voldemort, like, like the... What do they call that? Like the husk that they find in King's Cross Station? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, so maybe the Pope can cure him? I guess we'll have to wait till next week to find out on another episode of uh, The, the Patreonicals. That's going to be it for us, you guys. I'm Paige. I'm Mikey. And I'm your horror virgin, Todd. Keep it ooky spooky. Yeah. Have a great week. Bye, smiling nerds.